Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Zena Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers, free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films, Fetish, Sweetener, and Run, and their documentary, Drag, The Most Targeted Art Form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film, Group, is currently on the festival circuit, and very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now... Back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the Lion's Head Inn, discussing the 1933 science fiction horror classic, The Invisible Man. This film was directed by James Whale from a screenplay by R.C. Sheriff, based upon the novel of the same name by H.G. Wells. After the success of previous Universal Horror Pictures, Carl Limley Jr. planned to continue Universal's foray into horror, teaming up once again with director James Whale after the release of Frankenstein two years before. Imbued with a bit more humor than previous offerings, while still tackling a frightening premise, The Invisible Man offers a thrilling experience anchored by revolutionary special effects for its time and a captivating performance from Claude Rains in the titular role. Celebrating its 90th anniversary this year, The Invisible Man still remains an indelible cinematic achievement, with its cultural impact seen through decades of sequels, spin-offs, reimaginings, reboots, and remakes. We'd like to thank friends of the show Michelle Moore and Lala Thomas for recommending that we journey into the world of Universal Classic Monsters. So, The Invisible Man. What were your first impressions on the film? So I had never seen this film. I know of its existence and I know of other invisible men. Um, but this one I'm not familiar with. Um, I did enjoy this. This was a, for me anyway, I felt like this was a different tone than Frankenstein, than Dracula. Um, the invisible man was kind of hood. Like he didn't give a fuck. I understand, you know, it explains in the movie why or whatever, but he was wild. Like this movie was different and I did enjoy, I, I, I do like Dracula and Frankenstein, but I do enjoy the madness that is the invisible man. 
Very fair. And the the effects, man, for the time, that's fucking amazing. I was like, okay, of course you can see it. But thinking about it at the time, that might that must have been like, oh, he's really fucking invisible. You know what I mean? Because there's times when it's like, oh, shit. I still, I don't even know how you do that. They're like, and the, how did Universal find? Yeah, it's like, where did you <laughs> an get an actual guy? invisible? Man. Yeah, it's like, how'd you get him to show himself? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, I had a really good time as well. I know that I had to have watched this as a kid. I must have completely forgotten it mm-hmm. because, in my mind, this was the story of like this tortured scientist who has made a mistake. Yeah. And now he's desperate to. It's like, no, bitch, not at all. <laughs> what we get was hilariously different than what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. You get shades of that, and then they're like, well, back to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there were moments of, we were talking off mic this morning about the comedy that we find in these mm-hmm. and how there was comedy that we found <laughs> in Dracula and in Frankenstein, but they were accidental unintentional unintentionally hilarious yeah there are moments in this where i was like they're just fucking doing the absolute most (laughs) yeah they're having a blast and like you said a lot of it i'm like how the fuck it's 19 what 33 Mm -hmm. yeah how are you doing this it is visually very impressive and the story there were aspects of it that i just found (laughs) fucking hilarious (laughs) but i had a good time I and I remember whenever we first started covering the Universal horror films, mm-hmm. we went through Dracula, Frankenstein, the Mummy, and each time at the end of the episode, I was like, "Wait till we get through the, the Invisible yeah. Man!" Yeah. Every single time. And I'm just first, firstly, before I get into my first impressions, I'm just very glad that you both enjoyed it as much as you did. Yeah, I I think you're exactly right as far as the tone being different. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of comes with the motivations of each of these monsters. Yeah, because you have Dracula, obviously he needs to feed. Mm-hmm. You have Frankenstein, who never asked for any of this. No, yeah, and is just kind of having to suffer through it. Mm-hmm. The mummy is more, I guess, through this ancient romance yeah and i want to apologize to the mummy because i already kind of forgot that he oh, was wow. there he was, uh, <laughs> he? He was there. well you know well he was resting he's for a while quiet. He yeah, was, yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's back there but the invisible man his motivations are nothing like that no and we <laughs> learn he spells it out yeah. oh yeah no, oh, no there's yeah, no yeah. there's no room for interpretation yeah. no it's it's not noble i love his honesty though i do yeah, yeah. you gotta you, you gotta have give to him, yeah. respect that but um, and I, I think it's, and especially with the gift or curse that he's been given, yeah, it's it's kind of <laughs> ripe for some comedic moments, yeah, yeah, and they definitely dip in, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the Invisible Man was a childhood staple. Mm-hmm. I talked about it on the episode for Dracula, where I would come home from kindergarten in Germany. We had half days Mm -hmm. and me and mom would watch universal horror pictures or Halloween. Right. And wait for uh, Nay and dad to get home. Right. And so it was just a routine. But the thing is, is that, and thank you, mom. (laughs) (laughs) 
But the thing for me is that whenever I think of Universal Horror Pictures, my first thought is The Invisible Man. Okay. And I think after watching it again, uh-huh. and I think you can both agree, you can see how this would stick in the mind of a child. For sure. Oh, no, yeah. As compared to the quiet tragedy of Frankenstein. Yeah. Or, you know, any of the other ones. But um, maybe the transformation in the Wolfman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... um. That it, so it always remained a very important film for me. Mm-hmm. But this year in July, it took on even more of a meaning. Okay, uh, this film will forever be the first film that Jules and I watched together. Oh, very nice. We did a double feature over webcam, uh-huh. and we watched The Invisible Man and Rear Window. Oh, nice. They had never seen The Invisible Man, and I had somehow never seen Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so we were sharing these films together getting to experience it and getting to watch Jules experience it for the first time. Yeah. It's like, this is, I'm not trying to give my score away early. <laughs> right. Uh, but I think you already have. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been over 25 years of this film for me. Yeah. And for it to take on even more meaning is remarkable. Yeah. And I will admit the viewing with Jules, I was probably watching Jules more than I was watching the movie. <laughs> of course. But, um, it's, it's just, this film to me is kind of the definition of movie magic. Okay. And it's brilliant. It's an experience. Yeah. And it's just so expertly directed, so expertly put together, mm-hmm. especially in 1933. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. And then you've got Claude Rains, who, what a thankless job as an actor. Yeah. Your first American film and you're maybe seen for 20 seconds in it. We'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just, uh, it's the power of his voice. Mm-hmm. And I think the, uh, the other thing about his performance is that he does capture all of those feelings. You get um, the madness. Yeah. But you also get the tragedy. Oh, yeah. And the, um, like you had said, with this tortured scientist. Yeah. And then, I mean, he does dabble back into the madness. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> But um, there's just sequences from it that are so memorable. There's images of it that stay with you forever. Right. Very impactful. And of course, the humor that we'll get to. Um, Some of it is very over the top and very campy, Mm -hmm. but it's always fun. Right. And uh, I so I I came up with a comparison this morning that I think that Nay will appreciate. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about Frankenstein, the Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein the the mm-hmm. middle of this universal horror trilogy for James Whale and I was like I think the invisible man is James Whale's Jackie Brown go on <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like it it does get its respect in a lot of circles but it never really gets the recognition as the first and the third yeah okay so I feel like Tarantino kind of has that similar thing where Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill are these huge things. Mm -hmm. But it's like, look at Jackie Brown in the middle. Literally, if y'all have not seen Jackie Brown, (laughs) please go watch Jackie Brown. (laughs) I'd rather watch Jackie Brown than either one of those movies. Well, it's very good. (laughs) It's excellent. (laughs) It's very good. It's a 10 for me. But uh, yes, I I felt like that was this for him because when you look at this film, there's just so much about it, but you don't see it talked about culturally on those levels. Which is shocking because I can't imagine that they were doing this type of visual 
effects. Yeah, no shit. Like this should have blown everybody's tits off Those, in 33. Yeah. yeah, the doors were opening and closing by themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it was knocked off. the. <laughs> and it all looked really good. I yeah. mean, yeah. like sometimes when you look at older stuff, it's like, oh, I can see how for the time that was really cool, but it does look pretty cheesy mm-hmm. for me watching this it's like damn like yeah. i was impressed mm-hmm. and you just imagine them working behind the scenes with their wires and pulleys and yeah, yeah. You're like, Dude, this is choreographed like oh yeah you just can't believe it and of course and we'll get to a lot of how these sequences were done mm-hmm. some of them are pretty apparent and obvious yeah but then other ones you're like how the fuck yeah, yeah. in 90 years ago yeah you know um but yeah there's so much nostalgia packed into this film uh Again, not giving away my score early, but we we already know. <laughs> <laughs> but I did kind of want to talk about the production and how this film came to be. It actually starts in the late 1920s. I learned this on a commentary track. H.G. Wells and his publishers were shopping around The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And it was written in 1897. And something that was really wild to me about The Invisible Man is H.G. Wells would kind of take these scientific ideas and really expand on them mm-hmm. and expound on them in a very detailed way okay and the way that they've all chosen to discuss these ideas in this film are very bare bones compared to the novel so i've heard mm-hmm. but the interesting thing about it being written in 1897 and this is the thing with covering these films that are so much older yeah is two years before the invisible man the novel came out mm-hmm. x-rays were discovered Whoa. really yeah so that's what we're talking about and so that is kind of a part of this idea in this novel and the way that it's used is very interesting but to think about history that way it just kind of is mind-blowing yeah but i mean in the mind of a creative or of a writer seeing that and being like huh Huh. like that is so interesting yeah that's really cool but the thing was is that it took until the 1920s for him to shop this book around he had previous film adaptations that he was not satisfied with at all. And so I don't know if maybe he kind of took a step back and then came back with all of these. Yeah. Because this story is over 30 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. But he tried to shop it to MGM. And after looking at it, they're like, this would be impossible to film. Yeah. There's no fucking way that we can do an Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And so he shopped it to Universal and they were very intrigued. Yeah. But they decided, Carl Limley, senior and junior, that they wanted to follow up Dracula with Frankenstein instead. Okay. And so after they were working on that, they decided to call John Fulton, who was kind of in charge of special effects at Universal. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is that... (laughs) We, you know, we call them special effects now, but they were new back then. Yeah, yeah. So... John Fulton's title, according to the commentary, he was the head of tricks department. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why isn't it still called yeah, that? No shit. I yeah. don't know. I was like, that's, that's fucking really cool. adorable. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they told him about the idea and they were like, is this possible? Mm-hmm. And so he runs some tests and he tries to figure out how he would do it. And then he comes back to him and he's like, you know what? Yeah, I think we can do this. See if, if MGM would have, taken the time yeah Yeah. like you know what let's figure this out before we completely roll this out yeah they would have probably gone through the same process and it would have been and honestly what surprised me is that you don't have to honestly go through these lengths yeah you can literally just not show anything yeah Yeah. and they're like "Mm, i don't think we can do that (laughs) (laughs) 
But after they get the confirmation from Fulton, they buy the Invisible Man the rights to it for $10,000, according to an inflation calculator that's just over $200,000 purchasing power today. Mm -hmm. But in his contract, H.G. Wells had final say on the screenplay. Okay. Because of his past experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. For sure. It makes me think of Stephen King and The Shining. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they went through so many screenwriters Mm -hmm. i believe it was 12 god james whale was originally attached and then he left the project and then he went and made another film and then he eventually came back okay but when he came back he brought with him rc sheriff the screenwriter Mm -hmm. and playwright who had written a play called journey's end that whale directed in 1930 he also directed a film version in 1932 okay or in 1930 as well all right (laughs) (laughs) But um, when Sheriff got involved, he was looking at all these old drafts. And for some reason, Universal had also bought the rights to a novel called The Murderer Invisible. Uh-huh. And it's a much more gruesome version of The Invisible Man, basically. Okay. And so what they were planning to do is they were like, well, let's make The Murder Invisible. But nobody's really heard of this guy. So we'll call it The Invisible Man and say it's H.G. Wells' Invisible Man, but it's just The Murder Invisible. Okay. And Sheriff is like, why do you have this material and you don't use it? Yeah. And so he retooled the entire screenplay and kind of wrote it from the ground up. All right, all right. But Universal insisted on some details from The Murder Invisible. Right. Be in there. Yeah. I think that was called Hollow Man. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's the bad Invisible (laughs) Man. (laughs) That's, yeah. You think this dude's evil? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean- I, I noticed this rewatching it. Yeah. There's some definite overlap with Frankenstein. Okay. And a lot of character dynamics and a lot of different ways that the story unfolds. Mm-hmm. And I also, and I couldn't find this anywhere, so I think it's just a me thought, uh, but I see some parallels between this and Cronenberg's The Fly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I nobody else was talking about it. No, I can <laughs> I can definitely see that, especially who we're supposed to believe that he was before. Yeah. Yes, fair. That's the distinction. Yeah, but we we don't ever get any of that. No, but no. also well, maybe for like what, a piece? Like a like a, a, there's a slight yeah. there's not enough sugar. Yeah. Yeah. But they, other than that. Oh, that's the last bit of my production is they cut a bit where he's eating. <laughs> <laughs> where he's eating a lot of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> where he's putting a lot of sugar in his coffee. <laughs> now, before we give this film an experimental potion, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's rule the world. So the film opens with the classic Universal Pictures vanity plate, which you love to see. Mm -hmm. And this is followed by a logo declaring the film or the production or Universal Pictures an NRA member. Yeah, um, my note is, I'm sorry, what the fuck was that NRA thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I I want to let everyone know this isn't the NRA that you're thinking of. Okay. The NRA at the beginning of this film is the National Recovery Administration. All right. I found a film reel from the 1930s because I wanted to learn more about it. 
And from my understanding, it was meant to help lift the country out of the depression. Mm -hmm. It gave laborers right to collective bargaining. It helped set minimum wages and maximum work hours for laborers. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so it all, you know. Yeah, all I was right, like, what right. does that have to do? <laughs> yeah. I was very confused. I, I was too. And I was, I was like, I got to know more about this. Yeah. <laughs> Because honestly, when you think about it, that's not even featured that prominently in the film. So I was like, how is yeah. this? You know, but um, I did read that the it was founded in 1933 and it was dissolved in 1935. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's not. That's why that acronym has obviously taken on a different yeah. Yeah. from a different uh, group. But um, interesting fun fact, the director of the National Recovery Administration was named Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1933. Hey, hey, oh, that's right. cool. Yeah. So they were a big deal. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll allow <laughs> it. Um, I did want to note, too, that it always is surprising and shocking to me when I go to IMDb and a film just says approved. Yes. For the rating. Because I'm like, oh, this is old. old. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy. <laughs> I think, and we get that a lot with these, especially. Yeah. yeah. But it's wild to think that they didn't have a time where they were sitting there and they're like, oh, he said shit or something and had to yeah. write it down. Or Was that one nipple or two? <laughs> one? Okay. We can show one. Yeah, like, <laughs> how many thrusts was that? I watched the whole documentary <laughs> yeah. and it's Dude, literally. Yes. Mm. But that's one thrust too many. It's an R. What? Or it's NC-17. Wow. But it's it's so arbitrary as well because it's just this group of people that are deciding. Yeah. And you're like, well, what are your sensibilities? How horny yeah. are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like PG thirteen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to the sound of Heinz Rumheld's dazzling and mysterious score, accompanied by howling wind, we get the title, The Invisible Man. So we spoke about Heinz Rumheld on The Mummy, episode 163. And it was because the director of that film didn't like the score that was written for it and ended up using stock music by Rumheld. Mm -hmm. And then he would eventually come back and score The Invisible Man. Okay. But the thing was is that you notice this film is very sparse yeah. Yeah. musically. And on the commentary, they said that you get this opening song and then you don't hear anything from room held into the last seven minutes. Wow. <laughs> I I don't get it, but it you don't miss it either. No. Yeah. Um, interestingly, room held also scored some sections of Gone with the Wind. Oh, okay. He won an Oscar in nineteen forty two for Yankee Doodle Dandy. And according to his filmography, he scored over four hundred projects. Damn. Damn. He wrote Yankee Doodle Dandy? I guess so, yeah. God damn, that's <laughs> wild. Yeah. Um, I was going around the house yesterday whistling the Swan Lake theme that was on Dracula. See, and, that... and John Paul was like, that wasn't in the yeah. time. <laughs> like, yeah, but it could have been. Yeah, yeah, not here. It wasn't uh, here. No. <laughs> I was honestly surprised to not hear it. Yeah. But I was like, all right, we're moving yeah. on up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can write our own fucking music. See, yeah. It's 33 now. <laughs> but the opening credits give way to a figure in the night on a long snow-covered path. Bundled up with his face covered and carrying a briefcase with a trail of footprints behind him is Dr. Jack Griffin, played by Claude Rains. So just a little background. There's going to be a lot of detours in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Originally meant to play Dr. Jack Griffin was Boris Karloff. Mm -hmm. And what happened with him was whenever he was a contract player with Universal, yeah. he was paid a salary of $750 per week. Mm-hmm. 
this is 1931 dollars yeah but his next film in his contract it was told after i think he made the old dark house with james whale after that his salary is supposed to bump up to a thousand dollars a week okay and that this is something like fifteen thousand in Whew. today's purchasing power. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing was, is that he waived that, and so what he was asking for was his next film to be paid the difference. So it would be one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars a week mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the Invisible Man, and it was in his contract, and it was meant to be honored. Yeah. But because of the, I guess the conditions and the, you know, it's the Great Depression. Yeah. Uh, the studio couldn't honor it and said that they wouldn't be able to do that and wouldn't pay his contract properly. Right. And so Karloff quit. Damn. Damn. I think you're thinking of Scream 6. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's different. (laughs) No, but that's wild. How do you look at that man's sad, sad eyes and tell him (laughs) Well, He's like, I'm going to use this in my advantage. (laughs) (laughs) This is my negotiator. (laughs) Get him a present. He's like, do you have a lawyer in it? No, I don't need it. (laughs) I do not need it. That sucks, but I mean, really, we don't get to see his eyes at all. Anybody dies. That's true. That's true. That is very true. He's like, Yeah. Yeah. That would have, but he has a great voice too. He does. He does. But that would be wild to have Boris Karloff and not even see him. Yeah. And it is interesting because you think he was covered under all that makeup in Frankenstein. Yeah. He was yeah. covered in a lot of makeup in The Mummy, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this, he's like, can I fucking once show my face? <laughs> and he's like, As you know what? <laughs> pay me, pay me yeah. what you, pay yeah. me you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll think about it. <laughs> but after he walked, um, James Whale was going to cast Colin Clive. Mm-hmm. He played Dr. Frankenstein in Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Oh. And the thing was is that Clive had made two pictures back to back in Hollywood mm-hmm. and he didn't feel like continuing. He wanted to go home to England and spend some time. Yeah. And so he passed. But then James Whale thought of Claude Rains, mm-hmm. who is mostly known for theater. Okay. Very prolific theater career. And you'll learn a lot of these actors in this film worked in theater with Claude Rains. Okay. I can see that. Very much. I was going to say you totally (laughs) get that vibe. Yeah. But Claude Rains, the only American film that he ever went out for was a film called A Bill of Divorcement. And he had what was considered one of the worst and notorious screen tests of all time. (laughs) Apparently he and he admitted himself in interviews that he was fucking dreadful. What yeah. happened? I don't know, but the thing about it is that his very overdramatic performance in the screen test, yeah. James Whale saw it, uh-huh. and he first of all the voice, yeah, 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 which we learn. Mm-hmm. But second of all, he's like, this guy is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> And so he's like, this is, and Carl Limley fought it. He's like, you know, nobody, he is not a name, mm-hmm. you know, but he, James Wells like, no, this is the guy. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. He is right. He's like, put these bandages on real quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and dude, that was the thing is that um, Claude Rains didn't know that that was going to be part of it. Oh, wow. And so he gets to set and he's like, you know, I'm thinking about a more like emotive expression. Oh. And then James Wells like, so these bandages. <laughs> I'd be pissed. So we're never going to see you. Yeah. <laughs> So save that for next time. (laughs) (laughs) But the wind continues to howl as Jack clears snow from a wooden sign on the side of the path, which tells him that he is half a mile away from reaching the town of Iping. As he ventures on, the shot fades to the sign outside of the Lion's Head Inn. A lively piano plays as we're taken inside, the camera panning across a large group of patrons before it rests on a pair of uncredited men at the bar. 
The first man asks the second if he heard about what happened to Mrs. Mason's son, Willie, who apparently was taken to school and found 10 foot deep in a snowdrift. The second man asks how they got him out, and the first man says that they brought a fire engine around, put the pipe in, pumped it backwards, and sucked him out. Everyone within earshot of the joke laughs uproariously. Yeah. Yes. Uh, comedy was different. They yeah. Were, they were very tickled. I'm like, is the boy okay? Yeah. They're like, oh, he didn't make yeah. it. <laughs> 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 Everyone's like, ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, what the? Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> My condolences. To Mrs. Mason? <laughs> yeah. What? What is this? I don't know. It, well, it's, you know, it's bar. Bar talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So everybody talks in a bar. <laughs> But the camera follows Millie, a server at the bar played by Merle Tottenham, over to an uncredited piano player who finishes his song with a flourish, turning to face his applauding audience with a smile and a cigarette in his mouth. An uncredited bar patron next to him pops a quarter into the piano, and the piano begins playing again, forcing the player to turn back around in a rush, pretending to play, <laughs> which fills the bar with laughter once again. That was fucking It hilarious. was funny. <laughs> I was like, he's good. Oh, no, he's it's not. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> a very, very jovial atmosphere radiates within the bar, contrasting the cold winter night outside. But as a dart player, played by Ted Billings, tosses an accurate shot at the board and gets a proper score for it, there is suddenly a loud, pounding knock at the door. Without permission to enter, Jack pushes the door open, standing in his snow-specked coat in the foyer, his face covered in a scarf, bandages, dark goggles, and a crude mask for a nose. So, something very interesting is there are three successive shots of jack will say for now yeah mm. <laughs> i mean yeah. yeah we know his credit we, we know the title of the film but it's the same thing that james whale did in frankenstein to introduce the monster okay oh and i didn't know if it was just a kind of a callback or if this is just like his way yeah yeah, yeah. all right but it was the same uh cinematographer arthur edison who worked on this that also shot frankenstein for him okay and he actually worked on five pictures with james whale and then he moved on to be the cinematographer for the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. Damn. So wild career. Yeah. yeah. He also was one of the founders of the American Society of Cinematographers in 1919. Oh, damn. If you ever see the opening credits of a cinematographer and you see ASC after their name, mm -hmm. that's that. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So again, when you think of history and time, yeah. Yeah. it's just kind of wild. But Jack stands a stranger to the crowd, the wind whistling behind him as he leaves the door open to walk over to the bar, still carrying his bag. The other patrons back away from him as he gets the attention of Herbert Hall, the owner of the bar, played by Forrester Harvey. They were all having so much fun before he went in there. They were. What got me is even the self-playing piano was like, oh, yeah, everything stopped. stopped. <laughs> even the machine knew. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -mm. I don't, I, look, I understand that you don't know him, but he's literally just a guy coming in from the cold, man. Yeah, but he left the door open behind him and shit's all cold now. <laughs> That's fair. Nobody's he wearing didn't. a jacket. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> it was warm in there. It's snowing pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But as he peels his scarf down, Jack asks in a deep and serious voice for a room and a fire. Herbert calls out to Jenny, his wife, played by Una O'Connor. Now, character. Yeah. Yeah. James Whale was a huge fan, you shouldn't be surprised, of her theatrical work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She was actually cast again two years later in Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. But... This then this for a lot of people is hit or miss, but I found it 
utterly hilarious. <laughs> no, yeah. I was like, her rent was due. <laughs> yeah. She fucking, she gave everything she had. <laughs> and more. <laughs> she dug even and deeper. found yeah. even more. <laughs> but Herbert tells Ginny what this stranger has requested, and she repeats the request in an incredulous tone. She tells him that they don't have any rooms ready at this time of year, and that people don't usually stop in except for in the summer. But Jack tells her that she can get one ready, and Ginny can't argue with that and calls Millie over to do so. Yeah, I mean, but he he's being, I don't want to say aggressive, but he's like, no, you it do It is, this. and it's rude. It is, it is. But, I mean, he's not like screaming at them, but he is a, a little raised voice. It is authoritative. Yes. I will say, and again, though, I mean, it is, it, it's a lot easier to set up a room if you have a room. So they do have a room. They can set it up. They are a in in. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but if is she's, there any way, please? It's so cold. That, yeah. I'm, he's like, no, yeah, you will, and I want a private sitting room. It's like, <laughs> uh, and a fire. It's like, no, 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 no. See, you know what? Maybe if he would have came in cool like that and uh-huh. just like, oh my bad, close the door. And I, that's you know, the thing. You're coming wanna, in. You're doing too much. Yeah. You're well, doing I'd be too like, much. can I see your eyes, please? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who Please? I'm looking yeah. at. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, it's just, no. It is pretty entitled, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely. But as Millie snaps to it, Jenny very theatrically lifts open the bar and several more bars. I don't know how this plays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who designed? I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> she calls the phantom stranger over to a door behind the several bars. She opens it up and leads him upstairs to his room with Millie close behind. As they go, a group of five uncredited women sit at a table near the stairs, watching Jack's every move with a look of fear and intrigue in their eyes. That So this too, are, is this like a private table? there? Because they're behind the bar All somewhere All the bars? Else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Got to pass three bars to... Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know because it's, maybe they're... I don't know. And later... They're treated like very yeah. <laughs> so I, I really yeah. don't, know. <laughs> I don't understand the politics of this. Say, so, oh, these are our grandmothers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but once they make it to the top, Ginny and Millie get to work, switching on the light and clearing up remnants of what the last occupant left behind. After Jack sets down his bag, he stands stoically at the window as Ginny lights a log in the fireplace. She shares that this is the coldest winter they've had in years, and the farmers nearby have even put all their cows and sheep inside for a fortnight now. After lamenting the inability of the animals to enjoy a blade of green grass, Jenny looks back at Jack, annoyed, muttering to herself that he might be nearsighted, but he can't be deaf and dumb as well. She is just trying to make small talk. Yeah. 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 (laughs) He's like, is the fire ready now? Yeah. (laughs) 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 but after lighting the fire jenny approaches jack who still stands silent with his back to her she asks him if she can take his coat and hat to dry them off in the kitchen but jack responds a stern no jenny's cartoonish reaction oh my god fucking fantastic 
it's here that I was like, okay, now that I think that this one is probably going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Because her reaction was was cartoonish, like you said. Almost Three Stooges. Yes. yes. It was, was like, hilarious. Yeah. And it's given its own angle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I love it. I absolutely <laughs> no, love it. No, we're that. getting this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's big and theatrical. Yeah, because she's asking him, look, I can go take and have it dry. And mm-hmm. he's like, no. She's like, this bitch. Yeah. I'm just, it's I'm like he didn't, to... he didn't, he said it rough, but yeah. all he said was no. Yeah. That reaction was more like, no, dumbass, or yeah. something like, so? no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Jack just says that he'd rather keep them on. Jenny assures him that the room will be warm soon, but he asks her how he can send for some luggage that he has left at the station. Jenny offers to have it brought over tomorrow, learning that Jack plans to stay here for a while. Jenny continues tidying up, and upon learning that there's no way to get the luggage here tonight, Jack just asks for some food, which Jenny rushes off to get for him. After she closes the door behind her, Jack slowly closes the curtains and lowers the shades of the window. I just feel like, for as strange and cryptic as you're being, and as accommodating as they've been, Mm -hmm. because they told you that this room wasn't even available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a please... A thank you, any of the above. Yeah, I mean, this guy is a—he's a, an asshole. He I, well, he's so also—he's going through a lot. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's distracted. <laughs> you don't talk to people in the service industry like that. No, my arm could no, be no, cut yeah. off, and I'd be like, "Yes, thank you." Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. But that's—we're—we're we're wired differently. I guess we always say please and thank you. We always tip well. Yeah, I guess. He doesn't do any of this. I'm not yeah. a white man in the 30s. No. <laughs> I guess I'll never know. <laughs> You're also not invisible. No. Oh, well, yeah. we don't know that yet. Yeah. Yeah. He's just bandaged. He's just, yeah, he's just, he's just a bandaged up movie. asshole. <laughs> he's just cold. Yeah. <laughs> but downstairs, all the patrons have gathered around Herbert at the bar, full of speculation and theories. The stranger is obviously running from justice, or maybe he's snowblind, and that's why he's wearing those goggles. Either way, they agree that Herbert should be careful and lock his money up. I mean, you should always lock your money up. Yeah. But that was that these are really bold assumptions to make. Yeah. And being snowblind, is that bad? Like, I don't know. He's just wearing goggles. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. If you know that you need goggles to be out there in that yeah. snowstorm. Why are you it's making just, it seem like it's very um very strange? Yeah. I guess very like small town like we don't know you. Mm. But I would also have turned him away. We don't have a room. The way you're talking to me, you can yeah. look up your ass for a room. We're not doing that. There's no. not a room in there. <laughs> well, go look somewhere else. <laughs> but just then, Jenny returns from the kitchen with a tray of food, asking Herbert for a bottle of beer to bring up to the stranger. He places it on the tray and she heads back upstairs, stomping on each step and knocking on Jack's door before letting herself inside. She sets the tray on a dining table and Jack still stands at the window, facing away from her. He asks if there's a key to the door, but Jenny says that ever since they've been here, they've never had one. Now that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I will say, if I stop to stay at a hotel and they're like, oh, we don't have keys here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like wait what beggars can't be choosers i yeah, know I he's like can you just like please not come in here <laughs> yeah. can please be my lock <laughs> um can courtesy be my lock i i think the thing for me as well is that i mean 
even no matter what, privacy is of the utmost importance. Yeah. yeah. Staying in an unfamiliar place. What kind of establishment is this? <laughs> I might take a risk and go out back out in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> and I find it hard to believe you don't even have those little latches on the door where you can put Nothing. the piece of wood yeah. across. It's like it's a castle or some shit. <laughs> it's like, look, that's a lock. That works. No, there's nothing. You have a moat I can yeah, use? <laughs> <laughs> a big chair to block the door? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And we learned. Yeah. But Jack just shares that he wants to be left alone. And Ginny promises that she'll see to it that he isn't disturbed. She heads back down to the kitchen to find Millie standing there, who offers Ginny a jar of mustard for the stranger's meal. And Ginny savages her for her poor timing and slowness. Knowing that that man just wants to be left alone, Ginny reluctantly makes her way to the staircase, muttering to herself the whole way upstairs. This was hilarious to me mm-hmm. um, because he had made it very clear that he did not want her to come back. Uh, yeah. And even she's like, he doesn't want me to come back. Yeah. He needs this mustard. Yeah. <laughs> this sausage he is shit without the, <laughs> without the mustard. No, no, I don't uh, want sausage without mustard yeah. either. No. I get it, but ma'am, no. But not only that, she did. There was no Mississippi. She knocked no. on the door and just entered. But yeah, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And the first well, she did that before too. Yeah, I will say the first time though, she was it was courteous to stomp ten thousand times. Yeah, that, I, that, yeah. So he's like, you know, he's on alert. But this time she's like, let me rush this out. <laughs> <laughs> let me tiptoe this one. <laughs> and I will say, Uno O'Connor and Merle Tottenham apparently. James Whale saw them in two plays together. Oh, okay. And so he cast them both. And the role that Merle Tottenham is playing in this film is very similar to the role that he saw her play in the play. Oh, uh-huh. all right. So they do have a, a, a nice little chemistry, but they don't have enough screen time together. Yeah. No. But Jenny immediately lets herself inside, but a look of shock registers on her face as she stands frozen in the doorway. Jack sits at the table and quickly covers his face with a napkin. Holding it over his jaw with his gloved hands, he sternly reminds Jenny that he told her not to disturb him. Shaken, Jenny tells him that it's only the mustard. She forgot to bring it earlier. <laughs> this is such a great little tease yeah. of yes. what's to come. So fast, it's like blink and you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. It's very, very cool. But <laughs> she was downstairs for about 30 seconds. So the fact that he's like pensively standing at the window for this entire time and then she leaves and he's like, Nami, <laughs> <laughs> I am fucking hungry. <laughs> and he didn't even miss the mustard. He was, no. he was already eating. So it's like, let him ask. I you mean, don't need to go back yeah. up there. He's like, if only this had a sauce of something. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of service are we getting at this place? <laughs> no locked doors and no mustard. <laughs> It's going to leave a bad Yelp review. (laughs) One star. (laughs) Although they are very accommodating. (laughs) I was incredibly rude. (laughs) On purpose, just to test them. (laughs) Is he a mystery shopper? Yes. (laughs) They excelled beyond. (laughs) (laughs) But I do agree with the little tease that we get here. Yeah. And it's so interesting, of course, this is a time before you could just like pause at any point. Yeah. And so if you're sitting in a theater, you're like, what did I just see? Yeah. And you get a little sting at the end of the scene, but it's just so brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. But Jack tells her to set down the mustard. But as she walks over, she looks him over, 
asking if he's been driving on the slippery roads outside. <laughs> it's like she's trying to forget what she just yeah. saw. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I need to make some money. Maybe if, maybe if he sees me as a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's also funny to me that he's like, no, leave the mustard. Yeah. 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 He's like, well, that's a great idea. I'm- <laughs> Since you brought it, leave yeah. that shit there. I know I told you not to, but, but they- it could <laughs> use it. <laughs> Sasha's a little dry. <laughs> But Jack doesn't answer, instead just telling her to take his overcoat and to dry it for him. Fearfully, she takes the coat and exits his room. As she closes the door, Jack lowers his napkin, revealing his entire lower jaw to be missing. Fantastic. Yes. And again, it's just like a shot done. Yeah. Yeah. And to even register, you're like, what was that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Jenny immediately heads over to her husband and the waiting crowd, telling them all about Jack's bandages. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, we saw those, dude. Yeah. Talk about the other thing you saw right. that scared What's the under? shit out of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, he's been driving on the icy roads. <laughs> yeah. What happened to you up there? I got to go home, Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you say to that? Like, what, what are you supposed no, to say? I, I don't know. She's like, and I also saw something I don't think I saw. Yeah, but- <laughs> <laughs> and we won't be talking about it. <laughs> what made me laugh was this crowd just waiting for the tea. Oh, and she yeah. immediately goes over and she's like, listen. <laughs> but we all know. Yeah. yeah. We've all worked at a pass bar. Well, absolutely. <laughs> this fucking bitch at 61. <laughs> but she says that he has bandages all the way up to his head and around his ears. She says there's no blood, but it looks like he's been in some kind of horrible accident. One patron posits that he bumped his head on the prison wall getting over. He's really married Come to this. On. <laughs> yeah, let's calm down, guy. He's not running anywhere. He doesn't seem to be high. He asked to stay here in front of you guys. Yeah. yeah. And how do you bump your head on a wall? Yeah. <laughs> like, think. So bandage my ears. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. It's like this wall did a number on me. <laughs> and I can't let anyone see. What's what's funny to me as well is if, if that's really the reason, I don't think that I would see somebody with a bruised forehead and be like, oh, they must have just escaped. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would never think that. I would just be like, you want a room or something? Damn, dude, what happened? Are you- yeah, you need a doctor? <laughs> yeah, God, damn. <laughs> But the next morning, as bells ring outside, Dr. Cranley, played by Henry Travers, walks around his laboratory, conducting tests by a large bay window on a table full of equipment. Now, I couldn't find any proof of this, but this feels like a reused set from Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. It did look very familiar. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That bay window, I swear that's the one he climbs through. It looked very familiar. Yeah. Well, when they go through, you can see that there's there's no wall. That is cool. Yeah. 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 I I like that shot. I was like, okay, I see how you did that. It it felt like it was being let into the movie. Yes. You know, it's almost like the end of Black Sabbath. (laughs) 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 You're like, oh, it's Boris Karloff. It's not a real horse. It's like, oh, this is cute. (laughs) I'm not scared anymore. (laughs) But I didn't want to talk about Henry Travers. Mm -hmm. He appeared in two plays with Claude Rains before this. Okay. And in his prolific film career, he was also in Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, all right. And Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. It's wild. A lot of these actors, some of their credits. Yeah. And you just, you're just like, how can one person? It's just astounding. Yeah. But Cranley eyes his pocket watch as an experiment is underway, but he's interrupted by Flora Cranley, his daughter, played by Gloria Stewart. 
So Gloria Stewart was actually in James Whale's previous film, The Old Dark House. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people might remember her as present day Rose in James Cameron's Titanic. What? Really? Yes. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. That's fucking wild. (laughs) (laughs) Movies, man. I was not expecting you to say that. (laughs) There was was room for him on that door. There you go. I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about buoyancy. (laughs) I'm not into that conversation. (laughs) We would have made room. (laughs) (laughs) but Cranley politely asks his daughter to leave him alone while he's working but Flora says that she's worried and they have to do something about Jack Cranley distracted by a test tube tells her not to worry and that he'll be back soon but Flora reminds her father that it's been a month without a word but Cranley just tries to ease her mind telling her that Jack's note said that they might not hear from him for a while he says that it's actually a good thing to go away for a while when you're finishing a difficult experiment. Okay. <laughs> His dismissal of her is astounding mm-hmm. because what we've established just in this back and forth <laughs> is that he was conducting mysterious experiments. Yes. <laughs> he just left yeah. and nobody's heard from him in a month. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Flora, oh my God, <laughs> calm down. Like, why are you worried? Well, but he's like, oh, the solution's blue now. Yeah. <laughs> That's more he's what like, he's like. No, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I mean, again, he left a note that said, you won't hear from me for a while. How cryptic. Yeah. Imagine your partner uh-uh. leaving you that note. No. Yeah. And then your dad being like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you you know something. <laughs> yeah. Popping your face. Here, yeah. I would start you to think of like, something. Did, did, did Jack talk to you? <laughs> Did he tell you exactly what he's going to be doing? Well, I mean, that that is weird. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Hey, you know, I got this note. Something's wrong. No, it's not. <laughs> what? He'll be back. He's like, hold everyone on, goes on. into yeah. hiding sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it gets a little too serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the experiment thing. Yeah. You've got to be alone during that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. No, I've, you're my dad. You're a scientist. I've been watching you my whole life. Mm-hmm. You've never just mysteriously left. No. In the middle of an experiment. You're turning that potion blue right in front yeah. of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not in a cave or something. <laughs> Hidden away in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> But again, again, this is starting to have the plot overlap of Frankenstein. Yeah. Where he's off somewhere doing an experiment Mm -hmm. and his lover is left behind, gets the guidance of an older scientist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's that's true. You know, but Flora is obviously unconvinced, pondering what kind of experiment it must be and sharing that she had a horrible feeling last night, a feeling that Jack is in desperate trouble. But just then... Dr. Arthur Kemp, another scientist played by William Harrigan, arrives. So before we continue, I learned on commentary that Harrigan was a Broadway leading man, Mm -hmm. but he comes from a theater family more than I've ever heard in my life because his family has done theater since the 1600s. Oh my God. (laughs) And you're like, they did have, you know, like it's- Well, yeah, they had like traveling shows and stuff. And you think about the globe, you think about Shakespeare, you think about Mm -hmm. all that, but it's like, good Lord. Damn. His family was Shakespeare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we'll tell it from now on. Yeah. (laughs) 
But he actually got this part a few weeks before production when the first actor dropped out. Okay. I think that the first actor, they said that he saw the script and he saw what his part would entail compared to the invisible man yeah and he was like you know what this isn't as tasty as i thought what wow and he dropped out but harrigan a fucking professional clearly yeah, yeah. What Within, about, you see kim's face yeah, <laughs> and yeah all the no like, shit. wait you mean i get to show more face than the leading man yeah yeah, yeah. i think we can yeah. swing that <laughs> how and even later he's there for a minute yeah, yeah. yeah. and he has a very interesting arc yeah. Yes, so I mean, yes, he does. I don't know. He's trifling. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll learn. We'll learn. Continue. <laughs> but Cranley shares his daughter's worries about Jack with Kemp, which doesn't surprise Kemp. He says that Jack could have at least dropped a line of some kind, and Cranley admits that it is strange. It's like your daughter says something, yeah, and you're like, whatever. And wh- this dude's like, well, it is strange. You're like, oh shit, it is strange, it is yeah, strange. dude. <laughs> Someone I respect is saying yeah. that. Oh fuck, unbelievable. But Kemp agrees and says that it's especially strange considering Jack was an employee of Cranley's. But Cranley says that Jack had his permission to carry out his own experiments in his spare time. And Kemp sarcastically asks if Jack also had his permission to clear off whenever he liked for as long as he liked. He's like, no. <laughs> I don't remember signing <laughs> off on that. <laughs> that was never explicitly stated. <laughs> but fed up, Flora says that none of this matters if Jack is in trouble. And she storms out to another room, Kemp following her shortly after and finding her crying. And we do get this tracking shot. Yes. Following them. And it feels very theatrical. Yeah. Because you see the broken wall. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we're going through rooms tightly shot. Yeah. You see the whole set. Yeah. Because yeah, he does still walk through the doorway. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it d- it didn't take away the atmosphere for me. I no. still no. was like, okay, I'm following you through the house. I yeah. thought I, it was very interesting. Yeah. I did laugh a little bit because when he makes it into the room, they quickly move to the window as if they were in the wrong space for the blocking. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be. <laughs> but Kemp tells her that he has a car outside and it'll calm her nerves to go for a ride. Flora just asks if there are any papers that Jack could have left behind. She says that he surely must have arranged where he was going. Kemp says that Jack did leave a lot of papers behind, only they're burnt in his fireplace. Yeah, that's super regular. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a normal thing to do. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. I and again, I swear the more that Kemp talks, the more un okay yeah. <laughs> I guess we can say this whole situation is. And didn't th- didn't this um didn't this happen in the mummy when he threw stuff in the oh, fireplace? Yeah. That yes. too, yeah. I, they really they're like we've got a this barrel of ideas yeah. <laughs> boxes to take. and we're just gonna keep <laughs> or there it's like roll for plot yeah. <laughs> fireplace got yeah. it mysterious scientists got, got it, it. Yeah. <laughs> but flora remembers that jack was acting so strange before he left so excited and so strung up but he wouldn't offer an explanation she says he was never like that before he was usually so keen to tell her about all of his experiments but Kemp lets it slip that Jack meddled with things that men should leave alone. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm huh? saying. You clearly know. <laughs> yeah. And so, and you walk in and then Cranley tells you this and you're like, mm, that is a little strange. And you're like, by the way, Jack. Yeah. yeah. No, he was fucking yeah, around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, he was talking to the devil I saw. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, what? Why didn't you say this earlier? What are yeah, you talking no about? Shit. 
But when Flora responds confused, Kemp reminds her that her father is a scientist who's discovered more about preserving food than any other scientist in the world, and that he and Jack were hired to help him. He calls it a plain, straightforward job, and though it isn't romantic, it saves hundreds of deaths and thousands of stomach aches. But Jack worked in secret, keeping a ton of things locked in a big cupboard in his laboratory. He's like, let me tell you how important the work I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Jack, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. I Flowers, flowers. Like, that's not what we're talking yeah. about. Your fa- he said I was his right hand man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Your no. dad really <laughs> likes me, too. Yeah, and he said, if you could marry any <laughs> And I'm right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I got a ring as well. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Would you look at that? Yeah. Hmm. But he says that Jack never opened the cupboard until he barred the door and drew the blinds. Kemp says that straightforward scientists have no need for barred doors and drawn blinds. Flora fights tears as Kemp kneels down to her level. He goes for the jugular, telling Flora that Jack cares nothing for her, and he'll never care about anything but test tubes and chemicals. He asks her seriously, how can he go away like this without a word? He then asks Flora to let him tell her how he feels, He says he can't work or sleep until he knows. But Flora shouts for him to leave her alone, collapsing into sobs. Kemp stands and the camera pulls back from this incredibly awkward scene. Dude, (laughs) now is not the time. No. (laughs) She's fucking going through it. Mm -hmm. He's like, but me though. Yeah. I know. I have gone. all these yeah. feelings. <laughs> I remember there was that scene from Gone Girl where they're sitting in the interrogation and it goes very badly. Yeah. And then Ben Affleck goes, but what about my side? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, dude, shut up. Stop. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's how I feel here. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> but back at the Lion's Head Inn, Jack, still fully clothed and masked in bandages, stands at his table with beakers and test tubes and miscellaneous lab equipment, conducting an experiment. He walks over to the sunlight of his window to look closer at the solution in a beaker, but mutters to himself negatively, returning to his table. As liquids bubble and emit steam, Jack tells himself that there must be a way back. But his experiment is interrupted by a knock on his door. So... This is, to me, where you start getting into the tortured tragedy. Yeah. Where, I mean, imagine being, and we'll learn exactly what his condition is. Yeah. But imagine being in that condition and working so hard and this becoming your mantra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I'm kind of feeling the fly. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. And this is where, this is what more I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But as it goes yeah. on, <laughs> he shows his ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think it's a little surprising. Well, we look for it. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but at the door is Jenny with his lunch, but he just tells her to take it away. Annoyed, she tells him that she's not going to be carrying trays back and forth all day, reminding him that lunch is at one o'clock and it is one o'clock now. She barges her way in. But Jack just slams the door in her face with a shout to get out. Maybe just say you're naked or something. It's like, I'm, I'm not dressed. Please come back. Anything. Or what, I mean, Can you leave the tray by the door? Yeah. Anything but this. Like, this <laughs> is so unnecessary. Yeah. You ever like, I don't <laughs> even know, but maybe just the conversation doesn't go how you wanted it to. And then you're just like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes. Uh, 
I fucked up. Yeah, that was, that was bad. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be feeling that later. I'm gonna be trying to sleep tonight, and it's gonna be reminded. Yeah. <laughs> but the tray clatters to the floor, and Jenny runs screaming back downstairs to her husband at the bar. She tells him that Jack won't be staying under this roof another hour after what he's done. Crashing her tray to the floor, swearing at her. I was like, oh, he didn't do that. She put, yeah. she put a little hot sauce on yeah. it. Yeah. It made me think of <laughs> with that episode of The Simpsons where Melissa's is like, Mom, Bart's yeah. swearing. It's like, he <laughs> no, wasn't. wasn't. No. He just wanted to play Bone Storm in peace. <laughs> <laughs> but she also says that he's turned her best sitting room into a chemist's shop and is spilling chemicals all over the carpet. And to top it all off, he's a week behind on rent, which that that's astounding that is <laughs> yeah yes, okay. a week i i like, is he really <laughs> you're acting like this yes <laughs> and you haven't even paid for yeah. your room if you're not you gotta be quiet <laughs> yeah. yeah no shit <laughs> like when you're thinking about it as well i mean everything else whatever yeah but if you're not they they have grounds yeah and they're still feeding you yeah they're still putting, like that's that, that wild was, that was something i was telling your sister afterwards i was like well why didn't he just give her like his watch or anything worth the value that he has to be like look here's collateral or here's something something personal i will pay you please just he's like get the fuck yeah. out of here <laughs> right, this is my house yeah. like, no well, what are you doing yeah. dude and bring the mustard next yeah. time <laughs> it was really good last week <laughs> <laughs> But she urges her husband to tell Jack that if he's not out in half an hour, they'll get the law involved. She also hands him Jack's bill to bring it up to him. He owes three pounds ten, and she urges her husband to get it from him before he leaves. So accounting for inflation, I believe this is about 200 pounds. Sir? Jeez. Yeah, and floating that. Yeah. And slamming doors in people's faces and yelling at them. (laughs) It's a bit much. But Herbert approaches the stairs, but then he turns back to his wife, trepidatious, asking if they can just give Jack a minute to cool off before going up there. But Jenny doesn't want to hear it. She wants Jack out. Him, his goggles, and his chemist shop. She says that if Herbert doesn't do it, she'll do it herself. And then she takes a shot of whiskey to calm her nerves as Herbert very reluctantly makes his way up the stairs. Jack, however, holds a beaker of another solution in his hand, angrily shouting that his entire day of work has been ruined because of some foolish, ignorant woman. She didn't do that. No. Yeah, that wasn't her <laughs> You fault. were already mad yeah. about she been knocked on it the door. It already wasn't coming together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't, Don't you blame that yeah. on her. <laughs> <laughs> but he hurls the glass against the wall, which, dude, you did. <laughs> Again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she's exactly right. Yeah. You gotta get the fuck this out of here. This is crazy. <laughs> But he sits down in a chair with a large book in front of him, resting on it with his bandaged head in his gloved hands. He repeats again that there must be a way back. God knows there must be a way back. If only they'd leave him alone. It's, I I understand that this is a pressing matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the fact that he's not even (laughs) for a second reflecting on the interaction he just <laughs> yeah. had. His part in this? Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, oh, God damn it. Like, it's just like tunnel vision. Well, th- thinking thinking about it too, because I, I, I thought about it afterwards and I was like, well, 
when he got his stuff, what shouldn't he have had any money? But he does have his stuff because he's working on all his shit in there. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So it's like, dude, not only did they get their stuff like they told you they would, you are being a dick the whole time. Yeah. And I, I don't know why he had to come here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He needed he needed the privacy right and the secrecy. So let's work above a very crowded and yeah. <laughs> populated bar. No and shit. be extremely mysterious and mean as hell. Yeah. But then again, I guess food would be an issue too. So I don't know. He had his reasons. Yeah. But he shouldn't be acting like this. No. no. <laughs> but after he says this with his head in his hands, with perfect timing, Herbert knocks on the door to Jack's room letting himself inside and past a poorly propped up chair to keep people out. That made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Well, because that was after she. Yes. Yeah. He's, He's like, like not again. <laughs> <laughs> but Herbert walks right over to Jack, doing exactly as his wife told him to, telling his tenant that he can't have this anymore. He says Jack has ruined Ginny's best china. He's a week behind on rent and he has to pack up and go. Very calmly and respectfully, Jack says that he's expecting some money soon and he'll pay them directly when it arrives. Herbert counters that he said that last week, but Jack confides in him that he came here for quiet and secrecy, that he's carrying out a difficult experiment and he must be left alone. He says that it's vital, it's a matter of life and death that he be left alone. He tells Herbert that he just doesn't understand. I'm sorry, you conducting an experiment that means life and death and it's so volatile that you can't be disturbed. I don't want you doing that <laughs> yeah. above my fucking business. <laughs> yeah, that part. Yeah, yeah I don't want I don't. This want is not here. sweetening me wanting you here at all. No, are you building a bomb? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what and are why you doing? You didn't tell us anything up front. Mm -mm. No, no. Get acid, out. Acid through the floor and shit. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing, what these chemicals can do to my walls and in my walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you walk in and something's been thrown against yeah. the fucking... Nah, it better dude. be milk, dude. It's black and white. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't tell what's going on. <laughs> and even if it is milk, it's going to stink in here, dude. Get out. Yeah, that was like yeah. wallpaper. Your job is done. But after he tells him he doesn't understand, Herbert says he does understand. Jack doesn't pay his rent and even worse... He's driving people away from staying at the inn. Jack tries to appeal to him, telling him that he's had a very serious accident that has left him disfigured and affected his eyes. But Herbert isn't on about that. He cares more about the dirty carpets and the swearing, which again... Yeah. <laughs> he, the, that he didn't swear? Technicality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta come correct. Yeah. I mean, this is true, but I'm more concerned about the stains that he's leaving, and he's definitely leaving stains. Yeah, and the attitude's bad. The attitude yeah, is that's, abysmal. Yeah, yeah I, just, I didn't swear. Yeah. Like, get out. Get yeah. out. Even if you're not cussing, you're still you're being still, a dick. Yes, and it's very dramatic. Yeah. And you can't take this right now. Yeah. You did slam the door in her face. You did. You did. I'd you rather did. you cuss at me yeah. than slam the door in my face. Yeah, honestly. I mean, it is her choice. <laughs> Dude, and imagine making someone a meal and then it's just on the floor. Yeah. I'd be yeah. like, are you fucking kidding and me? And you, they weren't using fucking paper plates. It's all no. glass and shit. Yeah. Ooh, her best china. Yeah, yeah her best china. Says, yeah. Why are you giving this man your best china? <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, that's yeah. on yeah. you. Yeah, that's true. That better be your only china. <laughs> yeah. The only excuse here. <laughs> only would be best. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> and worst. It's also our worst, yeah. <laughs> But Jack begs Herbert to let him stay, 
But Herbert says that Ginny laid down an ultimatum and he's not about to lose his wife over this. I also don't remember that. <laughs> she did. But she said that she'll go. She'll go. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, then yeah. Oh, yeah. She's like, get yeah. this dude the fuck yeah. out of here. I thought she was saying like, I'll she'll go tell up him. there and yeah. yeah no, I, I took out. it as oh. he's leaving or I'm fucking leaving. Yeah. Oh, like, wow. and you don't want me to tell him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hurt his feelings. He'll <laughs> burn this place down. <laughs> But he even offers to help Jack pack. But as soon as he starts to touch his lab equipment, Jack rises from his chair, his tone growing much more sinister, shouting for Herbert to leave his things alone and get out of here. Herbert reminds Jack that he owns this place, which sends Jack into a rage. He snags his book, clubbing Herbert with it, then seizing him by the arms and throwing him down the stairs. You didn't have to do that, man, like oh, that. Oh, yeah. God. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is a point of no return. Yeah. You're not talking your way out of this. Not at all. No. Yeah, no. I And again, th- and this is the first example of his rage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's frightening. <laughs> but these are these are the, <laughs> the things that, like, Claude Rains' performance can turn on a dime. Yeah. Yes. Because he's sitting so sympathetically yeah when he's like i have to carry out these experiments and he's like get out of here <laughs> like oh my god that's like two seconds difference yeah yeah that's cool because this is thinly veiled this yeah. is yeah. barely restrained that is not who that man is the calm one yeah, yeah. that's not him a week ago you were accepting mustard graciously yeah. <laughs> i don't know about graciously well he accepted the mustard <laughs> But now you're throwing people downstairs. Yeah, that's yeah, a lot. That. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But he slams the door, leaving Herbert in a heap at the bottom of the steps. His groans attract the attention of Ginny and several bar patrons. As Ginny sobs loudly, one of the patrons urges another to go phone the police as the rest stay to calm Ginny, who is losing her goddamn mind. <laughs> well, her husband just got thrown down the yeah. stairs. <laughs> Even that's a lot. That's still. a yeah. lot. Oh, well, yeah, she was doing a lot. <laughs> but out in the town of Iping, men get the attention of Constable Jaffers, played by E.E. E. Clive. So I read that this was his first film. Okay. Oh, wow. And he also appeared in Bride of Frankenstein for Whale. Oh, all right. And I think four of his other films. Oh, very nice. That's one thing with James Whale is he does that thing that we love. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You find your people, you keep using them. Mm -hmm. But the townsfolk tell Jaffers that the stranger with the goggles has gone mad, assaulting Jenny and nearly killing Herbert. Jaffers, his response is just... Hmm. He's so <laughs> unbothered. Yeah. So does he not believe him or I well and at this point there's nothing not to be believed. Yeah. No. We'll learn later that it starts to get a little outrageous. Yeah. But right now it's just that oh the the guy that we've never met. Yeah. The guy we don't know, he attacked Herbert. Yeah. And the guy that we've been suspicious of since he got here. Yeah. yeah. We were right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But he follows the massive crowd of patrons back into the inn, getting directions from a frantic Jenny who is taking care of her partially bandaged husband, who sits at a table in the bar. She tells Jaffers that Jack is homicidal, and he just offers another, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but he heads upstairs with about a dozen uncredited men. Jenny just continues to sob wildly at the state of her husband. 
I was like, that cop is rolling deep. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you don't have any other policemen right now? Yeah, no shit. No, let's no. take these bar patrons. Yeah. Do you have when he tells them at the door? Oh, the, the grandmother? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they gather at the door as the men head up the stairs and he calls them kids and he tells them to head back inside. Yeah, I was like, what? Like, what yeah. is going on? Is this a Benjamin Button? <laughs> <laughs> This town has its own secrets. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. But they approach Jack's door. Jaffers opens the door as the other men crowd the doorway. He asks Jack what's going on here, and Jack, who sits at his desk, just tells him to get back. Jaffers does not take this well, asking if Jack knows who he's talking to. But Jack just responds with a warning, giving Jaffers and the men their last chance to leave him alone. This was hilarious to me because <laughs> you just pushed a man down the stairs. Yeah. I guess. You're staying here, I mean, illegally. You haven't paid for this room. No. Yeah. You've been asked to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, that was assault that you just <laughs> committed. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and now a cop comes in and he's like, get the fuck out of my room. Well. <laughs> it's like, man, you just are bold. <laughs> you look at the fuck. And I'm <laughs> sorry again. He's very cryptic. This is your last chance. <laughs> yeah. It's like, gee, maybe we should leave. I'll be, and <laughs> even more so later, he's very clear with his intentions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, he says something, listen. <laughs> <laughs> but Jaffers does not take this warning seriously, recounting the crime of assault that Jack just committed against the halls, telling him that he can come quietly along with him to the police station unless he wants him to put the handcuffs on. In a very low angle shot, Jack rises to his feet, telling Jaffers to stop right where he is and that he doesn't know what he's doing. Jaffers disagrees, approaching Jack with his baton and flanked by the bar patrons, and Jack has reached his boiling point. In a gruff and measured tone, Jack announces, All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. He tells them that everything would have come around if they would have just left him alone and that they've driven him near madness with their constant prying and now they'll suffer for it. He acknowledges that they're all crazy to know who he is and now he'll show them. He tears off the nose piece of his disguise, tossing it to them as a souvenir and we see a void in his face where the nose once was. He tears off his goggles, revealing two vacant holes torn through the bandages wrapping his face. As he unwraps the bandages around his head, he shouts that he'll show them who he is and what he is. Jack laughs madly as he rips off his wig and the bandages unravel, revealing absolutely nothing underneath. He told him to fuck off. He did. He said, you want to see some freaky shit? <laughs> I'll show you some freaky shit. You want to see something really scary? <laughs> <laughs> but Jaffers tells the men to look, remarking, he's all eaten away. Jack tosses the bandages antagonistically as the men escape the room and the inn, laughing maniacally as he stands there headless. I... That was a good line about yeah. being mm -hmm. eaten away. <laughs> and I know that they fled... But I still feel like this was an underreaction to what the oh, fuck we yeah. just saw in that room. And I will admit that the next scene is an under-underreaction. Yes! Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> but I, I did want to talk about the special effects. Mm -hmm. 
whenever we see him uh, tearing off his nose and his goggles, yeah, it's clear the use of a dummy. Yeah, but everything else is so incredibly done. Mm-hmm. It was the use of a process called the Williams process. It was invented by Frank D. Williams in 1918. Okay. But Fulton, who was in charge of tricks, if you recall, Mm -hmm. he was actually a colleague slash protege of him. Oh, all right. And so he used this process to accomplish this. And the process is you start by photographing scenes without any trace of the invisible man at all. Mm -hmm. And the... Difficult thing is that they came back later to film all of this stuff. And what they did is they draped the entire scene in black velvet. They draped the actor who was more often than not Claude Rains in velvet, including Mm -hmm. a helmet. And so he's completely pitch black and covered matching the scenery around him. Okay. And so they added what he would be wearing that needed to float on the invisible man. So this is just like, green screen shit before, before. green screen. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's it's the links they had to go through when what we have today is so easy. Yeah. This is like the grandfather of green screen. Hell That's yeah. brilliant. And it works so well. It yeah. does. And it sounds like George Costanza's fantasy to be <laughs> draped, draped in, in velvet. velvet. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's like, I should have just in auditioned for the Invisible <laughs> Man. I could have done it. He the thing was as well is that it 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 doesn't end there it's not just him disappearing and them just doing this uh velvet on velvet and he disappears yeah they have to print these they have to reprint them they have to use the negative they have to do a high contrast on them Mm -hmm. and only then can they add them to the previously shot footage that they shot maybe two months ago yeah (laughs) and so it's painstaking it's difficult the the crazy thing is the intricate things i read this in an issue of american cinematographer magazine from i think 1934 Uh fulton wrote an article in it but the actor whoever is portraying whether it's claude rains or the double yeah they can't like their movement has to be so perfect right one movement and you see up their sleeve the illusion's ruined yeah Yeah. just like any they move their arms in front of their body the illusion's ruined Mm -hmm. so every single movement has to be calculated We'll get to one scene that I don't even know how they did it. I had to learn and even knowing how it's like, holy shit. Okay. But this was so painstaking. And what the what he had said in the article is that there were so often so many mistakes made that they caught. Yeah. And because they caught them, whenever they got to about take 20, they would say, okay, now we're really starting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's one example. Yeah. But anything that wasn't caught on set that day, uh-huh. they would look back the next day in dailies as they reviewed the film. Right. And they would have to retouch them by hand, frame by frame. Jeez. The number of frames retouched this way in The Invisible Man, 64,000. God damn. So you think about the craft. Yeah. You think about this revolutionary special effect. Mm -hmm. And you think about today and how easy it is. Right. You can buy a green screen. Yeah. Yeah. And just have it and just open up your software. Boom. You're gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, they definitely crawled so that we could run. Oh, yeah. yeah. And to go through all of this painstaking madness and this to be the film that you make that people don't really talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, that's and, a lot. I, I and I'll never understand that. I, I to me, I think the Indivisible Man deserves as much credit as Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, I agree. Dracula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, especially for what it pioneered. Right. This is like the birth of nearly everything you see in every film today. Yeah. yeah. And I did want to talk about his laugh mm-hmm. because we hear it throughout the film and it is so iconic. Right, right. I did read that for his portrayal of the Joker, Mark Hamill. All right, all right. This was his inspiration. Okay. I told your sister, I said, I can hear a little uh, Chucky in there when oh. he's laughing. I was like, that, I was like, that sounds, but thinking about it now, that does sound like the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> Last night, he was like, I feel like um, he may have been influenced by it. And so when you were like in his portrayal of, I was like, <laughs> like lean forward, because that would have been wild. Hold yeah. on. But no, you can hear it in both. Yeah, yeah for sure. The, and that's one thing, the influence of this movie, I think whenever we see Jack enter the inn, yeah, the way that the snow is, it makes me think, and I know that there were plenty of influences and in obviously the original, but John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Okay. And then you think about how The Hateful Eight was inspired by The Thing and you're like, well, that's back to The Invisible Man. Yeah. Like there's so many, like the cultural impact of small moments of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. The Hateful Eight was so good. Oh, it was. <laughs> underrated that felt like a play yeah yeah yes yes it did did you watch the long version on netflix i did oh it's good yeah it's really good <laughs> it's real good all right anyway all right <laughs> <laughs> but downstairs the men ask jaffers what he thinks jaffers sums it up plainly he's invisible that's what's the matter with him <laughs> oh <laughs> all right my diagnosis yeah, yeah. but he's all like right. i've seen this before like that's how he's acting <laughs> But he posits that if Jack gets the rest of his clothes off, the police won't be able to catch him for a thousand years, which is an, a very astute observation. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I'd still be running through the streets screaming, I think. I feel like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I feel like that's why I was like, he is so bold. Yeah. Because after <laughs> after I threw that man down the stairs, <laughs> they would have come back to an empty room. Right. Yeah. Because I would have been ass naked just standing in the corner. <laughs> well, he's gone. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. He left all There's his equipment, no but he cleared out. He's just sitting in the chair. Yeah, but a thousand years, you're not going to live a thousand years, dude. Well, come I don't on. know. I don't know what he's capable yeah. of. <laughs> that's a so, fair yeah, point. So. I've never seen any of this shit before. <laughs> all right. And that's and again, what I was saying earlier about Sheriff taking the drafts and finally being like, why don't we just use the Invisible Man? Yeah. He said in one of the earlier drafts, the Invisible man was an alien from mars and that's why he was invisible and not only that but he was going to send a fucking army of invisible martians to attack the earth okay and they're like why are why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah i feel like what <laughs> what makes it scary is the humanity of it yes like, yeah exactly but yeah. okay if you an throw, alien arm, I, cool you throw on top of it he's an alien yeah they're it, like but also we're the worst <laughs> <laughs> We're doing two books. Uh, okay. All right. I'm thinking more Mars attacks. Right? Okay, Mars attacks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. The, him being a dude, that makes it so much more scarier. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's watching that switch for Claude Rains. Yeah. Because yeah. those moments for me, and honestly, even 90 years later, you're like, this is chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it isn't a human, then it's like, oh, well, you're just saying all space aliens are invaders. Yeah. And, and whatever. whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, but it's like, oh, no, he is still a person mm-hmm. that is still just an invisible person. 
And I mean, uh, and we're about to get back into it. Yeah. But <laughs> I think honestly, and I said this in my intro, but the frightening premise of it, mm-hmm. as this continues, you realize how scary that actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only as a person who is invisible. Yeah. But as a person who has pissed off an invisible I was gonna yeah. person. <laughs> as a person who the invisible man has a grudge against. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's really scary. <laughs> But with that astute observation, Jaffers leads all the men back up the staircase. Meanwhile, Jack undresses by the fireplace, preparing to scare the hell out of the townsfolk, proclaiming that they've asked for it and that this will give them something to write home about and might even be a nice bedtime story for the kids, too. He's already having a blast. Yeah. I could not help but notice that he was not wearing any underwear, but no. that's, that's not my business. Yeah, well. um, <laughs> but in all of these scenes where he's like cryptically, like he's just rocking out with the cock out. Yeah. Like that's hilarious to think about. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Because he does true. just have the shirt on in a second and it's like, oh, so he's yeah. just even... It, he's just Winnie the Pooh in No it. socks either. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine rocking up at 100 Acre Wood. You're like, Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> Fuck, dude. I just wanted some honey. You got to put that away. (laughs) Everyone's wearing pants but you. But you. Seriously. Unacceptable. (laughs) (laughs) But as he disrobes, he disappears, his remaining clothes floating on his unseen frame. Jaffers and the men re-enter the room but are absolutely terrified to find a white button-up shirt hovering in (laughs) midair, its arms waving as Jack laughs wildly. The men urge Jaffers to handcuff it, but Jaffers doesn't see how it would be possible to handcuff a shirt. You know that's not just a shirt. <laughs> yeah, th- that that's the thing, too. <laughs> they act like he's wind. It's like, no, you can still see. And you just said, you're like, if he takes all his clothes off, we'll yeah. lose him. Yeah. That's, that's what confused me for a second, because I was like, can they not grab him? But I'm like, but he was eating food. He was yeah. holding his beakers and whatnot <laughs> like he's not in he's you can still touch him he's right. still there yeah you just can't see him he's not what is it per- permeable yeah, yeah. <laughs> tangible <laughs> whatever what have you membrane <laughs> i just remember from science class <laughs> what's the powerhouse of the cell oh that's the mitochondria <laughs> we all know that <laughs> but the men chase jack around the room as he continues to cackle But the chase ends when Jaffers accidentally clobbers one of the men with his baton and Jack tosses off his shirt. Completely invisible, he asks the men if they're satisfied, calling them fools as they pick up his empty shirt from the floor. He rips items from side tables, telling them that it's easy if you're clever. A few chemicals mixed together and flesh and blood and bone just fade away. He raises a bottle of liquor, revealing that a few injections of this chemical under the arm every day for a month, and an invisible man can rule the world. I appreciate you taking the time to lecture us and let us know how you did this. (laughs) Uh I will say it is very funny because I I heard that in the novel, they get into the science of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like everything. And then in the movie, he's like, some chemicals here, (laughs) some chemicals there. Shoot them up. see this shit? (laughs) (laughs) You don't. That's the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) But he says no one will see him come and no one will see him go. As he smashes the bottle against the wall, he recounts all the crimes an invisible man could get away with, one of which clearly inspired Hollow Man. 
No shit. Yeah, I was like, leave that one out. I was like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that was all about. I yeah, you can the the murder's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. The other yeah, two are kill okay. people, yeah just kill people, Rob. That's fine. <laughs> but Jaffers directs the men to close the door so Jack can't leave, urging the invisible man to come quietly. Instead, Jack just slides open the curtains of the window, pops it open, and seemingly dives out laughing. As Jaffers checks the window, Jack's voice is heard behind him now, asking if he really thought he'd escape just like a common criminal, and telling Jaffers that he needs a lesson. He decides he's going to throttle him. And no one helps. No. That's what I'm saying. They're just like, oh, that guy was pissing me off anyway. (laughs) And uh, I mean, okay, so he is invisible, yes. Right. But Jaffers' back is against the wall. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you think he's being strangled? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. you would very easily. Just, and all the men in that room? Just punch the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or jump on it, throw a blanket on it, anything. Something. But Jack strangles Jaffers as the bar patrons just look on without assistance. As Jaffers crumbles to the floor, Jack says that all the men must be made to understand what he can do. He punches one in the gut, breezing past another and heading downstairs. As he has downstairs, I did laugh out loud because one man just goes, "Hey, look out!" Yeah, <laughs> very calmly. I... <laughs> he's like, he's he's on, he's on his way. <laughs> Wonder. <laughs> he's like, what can I say? Yeah. yeah, he just punched me in the gut. <laughs> but Jack heads past Herbert and Jenny, who screams, of course, when he topples over a grandfather clock. In the bar, Jack knocks over glasses and smacks beer out of someone's hand on the way out the door. Why? Just petty. Yeah. I, I don't know. Petty. He stays petty. Yes. For the rest of yeah, the Yeah, he does. <laughs> he pushes past the crowd of people outside, stealing a bike and riding away. But after he's chased for a few seconds, he ditches the bike, tossing it at his pursuers, and then throws a broom at them, asking, how's that for a hairbrush, George Henry? <laughs> it's like, what? what? are you talking about? And he did not need the GTA, that bike away. No. Like oh, he said and he was going to steal some he shit. Did. He did. <laughs> he did. I'm just like, what an escalation. What a day. Yeah. You were performing experiments 20 minutes ago. Yeah. yeah. Now you're, you've outed yourself as invisible. You've stolen this child's bike. You've strangled an officer. <laughs> you punched another one in the stomach. Threw a man, man down, down the stairs. stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you, this is exhausting. They, it's great. Yeah. It's it's fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, um, firstly, with the bike, they attached it to a track that you can't see. Yeah. And then just with wires, they were controlling the pedals. Very nice. And it looks fantastic. It, it does. <laughs> but women scream as he steals a hat from an old man and then bashes out the window of a shop, sarcastically reciting the slogan for the NRA. We'll do our part. (laughs) (laughs) He's having a blast. He is. And I will say I did learn on commentary. All of his little fuck you lines weren't in the script. Oh Oh, my God. That's great. They were, I guess, added in post-production. A lot of his lines were, Yeah, but it's just so great. His like, how about a little fire? (laughs) (laughs) You love it. But the townsfolk cower, and an uncredited mother and her adult son rush to secure the diamonds in their jewelry store. But back at the Lion's Head Inn, Jaffers, who is still alive, I thought he killed him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He calls in what just happened to the station, promising that it's the truth. Inspector Bird, played by Harry Stubbs, answers the call at the station and is incredibly disbelieving, telling Jaffers to put more water in his whiskey next time. 
so much for having faith in your uh, in your officers, right? I mean, yeah. And does that mean that they're drinking on the job constantly? Yeah, because <laughs> he wasn't even surprised. No. No. He's like, we're we're getting tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> you took it too far this time. But Jaffers passes the phone off to a battered and bandaged Herbert, who corroborates Jaffers' story. We cut to the city streets where people are gathered, reading newspapers and learning all about the attack and escape of the Invisible Man. But we fade into Cranley and Kemp, scouring Jack's laboratory for any clues, but coming up empty. I just want to say I love this laboratory set. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. But in the bottom of the furnace, they do find the remnants of clues, remarking that Jack Griffin wasn't going to leave anything to chance. But Cranley remembers him to never be the one to keep secrets, saying that he would come to him with everything. Now, this pissed me off about Kemp because you've been sitting on it for a month. Yeah. Yeah. That Jack has this secret cupboard. Yeah. And you're letting Cranley believe like, oh, he tells me everything. Well, he also has a vault. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? But Kemp does open that empty cupboard and he sees that there is nothing there. But he does say that he once caught Jack off guard one night. Come on. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. Um, I guess it was on my face. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. A little decorum, please. Us. Yes. People named Jack can be caught off guard. Yes. He did catch Jack off guard. You children. (laughs) (laughs) But he says that he saw Jack standing there at the cupboard. (laughs) And only then it was full of instruments. All right. (laughs) He's a scientist. He's not doing that here. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he is right over there. We don't know. Well, he does lock the door a lot. (laughs) And there's that uh, machine from Puppet Master. We don't know what it was doing. Yeah, we we don't want to know. (laughs) Big question mark. (laughs) I I remember him going to the inn and he's like, now does the door have a lock? (laughs) (laughs) I like to do my experiments relax. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's 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 reel this back. <laughs> Come on. But Kemp says when Jack saw him, he slammed the door and locked it. And the night before he disappeared, Kemp heard him hammering. And I bet he did. <laughs> God damn it! He, he was pounding off. He was. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> <laughs> this film is very important to me. <laughs> this we're, we're not going to do guys. this <laughs> with the 1933 <laughs> horror classic, The Invisible Man. We're not doing it. Well, I guess you can't see him doing it. All right. Yeah, this <laughs> could be. We don't know. He was packing. <laughs> he was. All right. <laughs> God damn it! Everything is a thing. I can't live in this world. Wow. I'll stop. I'll stop. Go ahead. (laughs) He took all his materials. (laughs) But he didn't tell anyone for some reason. All right. That Kemp, I mean, he didn't tell anyone that he saw this. Yeah. Or heard this. Well, that's why I was like, that wasn't worrying to you that he slammed the door and locked it when you went in there? And then you hear him packing and then he's gone for a month. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) And now time to move in on Florida. Yeah. Yeah. But Cranley, however finds a scrap of paper covered in dust. He blows it clean, reading it to Kemp. It's a rough note, a list of chemicals, and the last one listed is monocaine. Kemp has never heard of it, but a contemplative Cranley shares that monocaine is a terrible drug that isn't used much anymore. 
Monocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> Sorry for <laughs> <laughs> like, Keep going. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Continue. But he says that it's made from a flower that's grown in India that draws color from everything it touches. It was initially thought to be used for bleaching cloth, but they gave it up because it destroyed the material it touched. Kemp doesn't see how this constitutes as terrible, but Cranley has much more to tell. He's like, the cloth went on a rampage. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. The cloth stopped paying its rent. (laughs) The cloth threw a man down the stairs. (laughs) Jumped out a window. It's a real pattern that this monocane. (laughs) But he shares that the scientists tried monocane on a dog, injecting it under its skin. It turned the dog pale white like a marble statue and also sent the dog mad. He prays that Jack hasn't been messing with this chemical, and Kemp doesn't believe that he would experiment with something with madness in it. I was like, it's just listed as an ingredient. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You had side effects ready for this shit? I was like, oh, damn. (laughs) Madness, it says. Yeah. (laughs) So I got a little curious, and I wanted to look up, uh, you know, maybe if they were using actual things from the time, medical terms or medicine, whatever. Right. Uh, The monocane that he's talking about is fake. Okay. But there is, what did come up was a monocaine hydrochloride, which is used for nerve block procedures. Okay. So like anesthesia and stuff. So I was like, I don't think that's what this is. I would hope not. Yeah. No. <laughs> Imagine about to, <laughs> you're about to perform surgery and you're like, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> He's gone. I don't, I don't, I don't see anything. Um, I did not have time to read the novel because I might be reading a novel for next week's episode. Mm. Um, but I was reading summaries, you know, to kind of compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting. This is this is not in the book. Okay. Um, it was all Jack kind of coming up with it himself. He had albinism. Okay. I think that's the correct way to say i don't know um but he had that in the book and was performing experiments and stuff but he was also performing them on like his neighbor's cats oh wow what the fuck like i feel like they introduced this thing to kind of explain away why jack is mean and like some of the motivations that he has that Mm -hmm. we'll learn in, in a little bit yeah but in the book he was um he was an asshole. He was always an asshole. Okay. And there was no flora, n- none of that. Um, and he didn't, Kemp was not somebody currently in his life. He was a dude he went to school with. Hmm. Okay. Um, like back when he went to school yeah. and their meeting is kind of happenstance. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that they introduced this element, I guess, to make your audience sympathize with him at all because mm-hmm. he's horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah. it was just interesting to me that there was no transformation there was no um horrible thing and uh, that too he's like i you got to be clever but no you just injected monocaine <laughs> yeah you told us <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean i it was i thought that this was interesting but like you said the book apparently really um explains a lot more of the science mm-hmm. and why he was doing what he was doing and exactly what he was doing. Okay. But this invented chemical is not, that's not a thing. Yeah. I also read that the book has a lot more uh, commentary in it. Okay. As the invisible man can be used to mean like a, a form of feeling as an other. 
Mm. Uh, all right. You know, and H.G. Wells, of course, put a lot of commentary in his work. Right. Yeah. But none of that really shows up here. No, Mm-mm. not too much. No, he's just throwing brooms. At yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a snappy line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Cranley says that Jack might not know what he used. He himself found this experiment with the dog in an old German book just by chance. And he says that the English books only describe its bleaching power and were written before the German experiment took place. Kemp asks what they should do. And Cranley says that they ought to involve the police and tell them that Jack has disappeared, but only that he's disappeared. Which is a little cheeky because he has disappeared. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> excellent choice of words. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're like, it's been a month. We should probably call the police. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I will admit, just this morning, he was like, whatever, daughter. Yeah. And now he's like, we got to get the police on this, yeah. dude. Maybe because of the, the monocane. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe because his daughter's a woman and he didn't give a fuck about what she had to say. And it is the 30s. And it's yeah. 1933, but, you know, whatever. Horrible. Mm-hmm. But he urges Kemp to promise to keep this drug and the experiment between them, which Kemp does not promise to do. Mm-mm. Yeah. But they breeze right past that, and Cranley says that he'll go alone tonight to the police station to speak with an Inspector Lane, and they say their goodnights to each other. He's like, good night, sir. Kiss your daughter for me. <laughs> what? What? I'll kiss her. It's fine. <laughs> I'll do it myself. I'll do it. You want a job done right? <laughs> but at home that evening, Kemp sits in a chair engrossed in a good book while listening to music. So engrossed, in fact, that he doesn't notice his door opening slowly behind him. There was a lot of wind getting oh, there in. Was. I don't know how he didn't notice that. <laughs> it's freezing in here now. Yeah. It's probably fine. <laughs> But he watches as objects tumble from a nearby table as if from the wind, and he looks around for a moment, but then settles back into his book, smoking his pipe. A radio announcer, played by Edgar Barrier, breaks through the music, announcing this evening's news. A remarkable story out of the village of Iping. Police and doctors are investigating a mysterious disease that has broken out and infected a large number of inhabitants. It takes the form of a delusion a delusion that an invisible man is living among them. <laughs> Kemp looks around like, that son of a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, he knows. Yeah, he does. But the announcer continues that some people have been seriously injured, probably through fighting amongst themselves and believing that their opponent is an invisible man. That hurt them? Yeah. Well, they're just punching air, I guess. <laughs> and then if you get hit, it's your own fault kind of a thing. But like the whole town is saying this. So they're all sick. Mass hysteria. According to this thing. Yeah. This radio announcer. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that like the mass delusion, mass hysteria. I understand the the thing that took place in France all those mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Of the dancing till you die. Right. But I, that's rare. I don't think that happens yeah. every week. That reminds me of that story we read on Creep and No Sleep. Oh, yeah. That oh, was a great that one. Was yeah, that was great. Yeah. Song and Dance Man. Yeah. yeah. That was clearly inspired by that. For sure. Yeah. But this is not real. This is yeah. something different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is an experiment gone wrong. <laughs> focus, focus. <laughs> but the announcer says that the whole village is in a state of panic and everyone. But the radio switches off as Jack's voice finishes. And everyone deserves the fate that's coming to them. Panic, death, things worse than death. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. He, that he's switching off the radio yeah, and being I've like, got this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. He's diabolical. He yeah. is. 
But Kemp rises from his seat, looking around fearfully. But Jack tells him not to be afraid. (laughs) I laughed out loud because he goes, don't be afraid. It's me, Griffin. Jack Griffin. (laughs) (laughs) I know your voice, dude. Yeah, like the most recognizable voice ever. Um, And in the novel, from my understanding, when he flees from the inn, he meets up with an unhoused man and kind of gets him to like pal around with him Mm. and they rob a bank. And I guess the man double crosses him and takes his shit and uh, the money. Yeah. And Jack runs and hides in a random house. And then it turns out that it's Kemp's house. And he's like, oh, I went to school with him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Jack complains of the cold and his exhaustion, gathering unseen at the fireplace, pulling a chair forward and sitting down. Kemp gasps at the indentation in the chair, Probably because Jack just sat his bare ass on the furniture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you don't get your balls off yeah. like a chair, You're not dude. a cat. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just put your bare ass hole yeah, like, on my things. <laughs> Cats don't give a no. fuck. No. Your pillow. Uh, all of it. Yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, now look at it. Yeah. No. No, dude. I'm trying to eat. I don't want to. <laughs> But I, I do want to say this to me is such brilliant work. Yeah. And this is the stuff that we were talking about earlier that it's it's very clear how you're doing all these things. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that you're, I don't even think Claude Rains is on set. Yeah. You're insisting on Jack's presence through these actions. Mm-hmm. And you're, I, there is not one point that I'm like, oh, Kemp is acting opposite no one. Yeah. No, uh-uh. Never. You feel it. And that's just very, very expert direction. Oh, yeah. I think James Whale was saying in an interview that he was coming up with these different devices to where you never feel like anyone's alone. Right. And there's such brilliant camera work that does the same. Yeah. It's just so smart. Yeah, it all works because I, for me, I again, I know there's no invisible man, but for this, it's all believable. Yeah. It all like flows together and it works. Kemp tries to back away, but Jack just tells him to sit down so they can have a decent fire together. Kemp watches as logs are lifted and set onto the grate, but Jack soon grows irate, telling Kemp to sit down unless he wants him to knock his brains out. (laughs) Okay. I don't remember asking you a goddamn (laughs) (laughs) That's more tantia. I told you more would come. But he raises a fire poker above his head, shouting for Kemp to sit down. Kemp does as he was told, and Jack pulls his chair closer, telling him to listen carefully. He says he's been through hell today, and all he wants is food and sleep. But before he sleeps, there's work to do. He asks for a cigarette, and we watch it hover in the air as Jack's invisible hand lights it. The smoke rises from imperceptible breaths as Jack asks Kemp if he has long surgical bandages and a pair of dark glasses. He's like, I found a look that I like. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep this going. (laughs) But he orders Kemp to get them for him at once. And a dressing gown, too. And pajamas. (laughs) And a pair of gloves. Yeah. (laughs) And soft pajamas. Yes. Yes. And a high thread count blanket. It's like, you're doing way too much. Well, we learned he's entitled. Yeah. (laughs) Extremely. (laughs) 
And when you feed me, I mustard. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fucking yeah. forget it. There's a mustard and an inn I like. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was I think it was stone ground. <laughs> Look for it'll be labeled stone ground. So you know what? Go ask the lady at that inn. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. He's like, what? What? The what? Fuck. But as the camera follows Jack's invisible body out of the room, he tells Kemp that he'll probably feel much better if he can see him. But he opens the door, telling Kemp that there is no time to waste. Kemp walks through the door, heading upstairs as it slams behind him and gathering the materials for Jack to get changed and proper. Jack carries them to a nearby room and shuts the door, but Kemp follows shortly after to bring him the pair of dark glasses. The modesty of him going to change in the room. It's like, dude, we can't. Yeah, I can't see. (laughs) But some things are ingrained. I guess. But Kem stands in shock at the entrance of the room, setting down the glasses and staring in disbelief when he sees Jack sitting in a pair of pajamas, his gloved hands visible, but his head and feet unseen. He tells Kemp to return to his study and draw the blinds. Oh, and also, don't raise a finger to him because he's strong and he'll strangle him. Okay, so now you're threatening me uh, yeah. yeah, and then sending me downstairs alone. Mm-hmm. I've already dialed nine and one. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing? I just think it's funny because we know that Jack's tired. Yeah. <laughs> and this feels like an empty thread. He's like, and please, I don't want to have to. Yeah. I'm kill really you. strong. That, that's my note is that's your threat. I'm strong. And I'll choke you. Yeah. Like, that's, and I'll choke you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> if I can find you. Yeah. yeah. Well, now he's stressed. That's oh, true. Yeah. yeah. And he did say earlier, he's like, I'm hungry. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's already strangled someone today. Yeah. yeah. But Kemp walks downstairs, seemingly heading towards a different room. But Jack's voice comes from the top of the stairs, telling Kemp that he said the sitting room. I thought he was going to the front door and yeah. I laughed out loud. I'm out. That yeah. would be me. <laughs> Sorry. Just takes off running. Yeah, yeah sure thing. <laughs> <laughs> but he tells Kemp that if he tries to escape, he'll follow him and no one in the world will be able to save him. Kemp nervously makes his way back to the sitting room, closing the door behind him and drawing the blinds. He eyes the telephone on his desk, but then he thinks better of using it. Back at the lion's head, Inspector Bird arrives, flanked by a couple of uncredited officers. Inside, the inn is full of townsfolk who stand when Bird enters. Annoyed at being made a fool, Bird directs his annoyance and frustration at them, saying he has a force for ten miles around the town, but there hasn't been a sign of anything at all. He says that he thinks that their invisible man is just a hoax, sidling up to the halls, saying that a hoax like this would be mighty good for business. He came in hot. He did. Yeah. Well, it's it's wild. You're you're searching around town for something you can't find. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't even know how do you even begin this search. How do you end this search? Yeah. No. <laughs> Still got nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the point. <laughs> but Herbert, furious, says that he wouldn't break his neck to sell a gallon of beer. In response, Bird launches an inquiry this very moment, saying that he'll interview everyone who thinks that they saw something and get to the bottom of this whole thing right now. The bar, full of patrons who saw something, reorganize their tables so Bird can get through to each of them. But back at Kemp's home, Jack emerges from the bedroom, clad in a stylish robe, gloves, a bandaged face, and dark glasses. Call him Ranch, because yeah. <laughs> he be dressing. <laughs> 
This is the iconic look mm-hmm. yeah. that we all know and love. And honestly, he spends more time bandaged in this film than the mummy did in The Mummy. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but he makes his way into the sitting room and closes the door behind him. Kemp sits anxious as Jack says that now they can talk man to man. They return to their seats in front of the fireplace, Jack drawing large drapes and locking the door before he does. He tells Kemp that one day he'll tell him everything, but now there's no time, so he'll give him a succinct version. Five years ago, he began working in secret, all night, every night into the dawn. A thousand experiments, a thousand failures, but then, at last, the great, wonderful day. Kemp tells Jack that it's dusk in a hurried and hushed tone. I don't know why that matters now. Yeah. I don't I don't either. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, in a minute, he's like, but it's after eight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Dude. Which I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say. But after he says this, Jack just goes, the great, wonderful day. He's like, I'm continuing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says the last little mixture of drugs. But he says that he couldn't let Kemp watch him fade away, so he packed up all of his things and ran away to Iping for secrecy and quiet to finish the experiment and create an antidote, the way back to being a visible man again. He says he meant to return to exactly how Kemp saw him last, but the townsfolk wouldn't let him work in peace, so he had to teach them a lesson. They wouldn't let me trash their room, beat them yeah. up, and stay for free. It's <laughs> the free yeah. thing, man. Tell the truth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you you were out of pocket. Yeah. <laughs> a one-sided version of the story. Kemp asks why he did any of this at all, and Jack explains that it began as a simple scientific experiment to do something that no other man in the world had done. But he says that he knows now that something changed. The drugs he took began to light up his brain, and he felt all the power he held. The power to rule and make the world grovel at his feet. Now, there, okay, I learned from a documentary Mm -hmm. that Claude Rains was born with a speech impediment. Okay. That he had a stutter, and after the war, he took a lot of elocution lessons, Mm -hmm. and in a way, because apparently he also had a very thick Cockney accent. Okay. He completely invented his own accent for the theater. Wow. Wow. Okay. And he made, obviously, a very distinctive voice and tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, There was also a gas attack during the war that messed with his vocal cords and he was worried obviously because he had already begun his acting career and so he thought that he was not going to be able to speak and then afterwards he is such a powerful voice and a presence through his voice and the difficulty that he had was mostly with the letter R but his R is the most interesting R and pronounced Mm -hmm. because he stands up and he's like and grovel at my feet and it's like this is so fucking good yeah (laughs) like (laughs) I I can never imagine no it's incredible Yeah. yeah um Samuel Jackson was also had a stutter when he was a child really yeah and again excellent orator yeah I feel like it's a it's a very um inspiring story and I think that his voice is this character. Absolutely. But he chuckles, telling Kemp that they'll soon put the world right. Now. Together. Kemp responds incredulously, but Jack explains that he'll need a visible partner to carry out all the things that he can't. He raises a gloved finger, pointing directly at Kemp's face, telling him, You're my partner, Kemp. He settles back into his chair, rocking casually, 
and explaining that they'll begin with a reign of terror, a few murders here and there. Mostly here. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a plan, huh? Let's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Lisa, you're scaring your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Not a reign of terror. Yeah. That's wild. We'll yeah. begin yes. with the reign of terror. That That's a good starting place. Like the this. confidence. <laughs> yeah. 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 But he says, in the interest of fairness, there will be murders of great men and of little men, just to show that they're equal opportunity murderers. Okay, okay. okay. They might even br- <laughs> they might even break a train or two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> he looks at his hands, imagining his fingers around a signalman's throat, seizing it in a mime, calmly telling Kemp, "That's all." Okay. Yeah. His madness. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's dial that back a little bit. Just turn it down. And I mean, this is a lot after 8 p.m. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We can pick this up in the morning. Maybe that's why he's like, it's dusk, dude. (laughs) I was reading. This is my wind down time. I had music going. (laughs) But Kemp rises to his feet, backing away from Jack, terrified. Jack stands too threatening to take his clothes off and Kim begging him not to. He's like, I'll fucking kill you right now, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But Jack returns to the plot, advancing slowly on Kemp, telling him that they'll make their plans tomorrow. But tonight, they have a small job to do. He orders Kemp to bring his car around so they can return to Iping. He says that he left his notebooks there, full of all his notes on his experiments, and he must have them. This is when Kemp tells him, it's past 8 p.m. <laughs> he did leave in a hurry. Yeah. I mean. He did. He did. And I will admit, honestly, I, I get Kemp, too. I'm not leaving after that. Yeah. No. It's, uh, I'm not leaving after 7.30, maybe. It <laughs> maybe. <must> be, <laughs> it better be important, is all. <laughs> well, I am already in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> but Jack tells him that it's only 15 miles away and to go now, quickly and to take a bag with him for the books. He also requests a warm rug in the car, admitting that it's cold outside when you have to go around naked like this. That is hilarious. Yeah. A warm rug. Now yeah. I gotta fucking heat it up. Like, are you in a hurry or not? You're gonna put it in the dryer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and on the cool, just thinking about it. Hmm. What do you mean don't make you have to take your clothes off to you don't got to get naked to kill me dude just me and you are in here you can strangle me with your clothes on he loves the thrill of the chase i think (laughs) (laughs) not knowing to do it yeah but after kemp steps out jack undresses himself and unwraps his bandages but later kemp gets into the driver's seat of his car jack sitting down completely invisible as a passenger he searches for the rug to shield him from the cold and they're off Wrapped in the rug and speeding down the road, Jack shares his plan that they'll park a hundred yards away from the inn. He'll sneak in and give Kemp the books from the window. Kemp assumes that they'll have a guard on duty, but Jack just finds Kemp's worries foolish, telling him that retrieval of his books is paramount. And afterward, he'll work in Kemp's laboratory until he concocts an antidote. And maybe sometimes, Jack says, he'll make Kemp invisible. Hold, hold on, hold on. Yeah. To give himself a break. Hold on. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't have to be invisible. Yeah, dude. no, no. <laughs> That's the funny 
it's like when you get too excited about something. Yeah. It's like it's sometimes I'll be invisible. Sometimes you'll yeah. be invisible. Yeah. It's like, like no, too far, too far. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is when you haven't even come up with a a way to bring yourself. Yeah, back. no. <laughs> That's wild. What if you think it's going to work, but you turn me invisible, but you never turn visible. Now we're both invisible. invisible. And now we need a visible dude. Yeah, now we need another person. Now there's three of us. God. Are we going to turn that one invisible? <laughs> if you give a mouse a cookie. <laughs> 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 to give myself a break. <laughs> like, this is tiring. Oh, yeah. that's so <laughs> I'm already sick of it. <laughs> You'll love it, though. <laughs> But at the Lion's Head Inn, the elderly villager played by Darcy Corrigan, who had his hat snatched by Jack earlier, tells Inspector Bird what happened to him. Bird asks how many drinks he had on his way home, and the villager admits that he did have a couple. Bird shrugs this entire thing off as a couple of drinks and a gust of wind, sending the man away. So your way of investigating is to just accuse everyone of being drunk? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did have a couple of drinks. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not a good. It doesn't work. Yeah. Something interesting about Darcy Corrigan, five years later, he played the spirit of Christmas future in A Christmas Carol. Hey, hey, oh, cool. All right. Like all these people popping up in all these classic films. Yeah. And he doesn't have like any other time in this film with spoken lines. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. But afterward... Bird interviews the man who had his bicycle swiped, played by Walter Brennan, who tells a story that admittedly sounds like bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Brennan, another person who became a prolific character actor, he had almost 250 credits on IMDb. Damn. Damn. Just wild. And again, you don't see him again. Yeah. But outside, Jack and Kemp stop the car. The passenger side door opens and Jack urges Kemp out as well, giving him his instruction to follow. And after he collects the books from him and puts them in the bag, Jack tells him that he'll need to return to the car and wait for him. This is worrisome. Yeah. Because it's not we're leaving together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What are you doing? You have unfinished (laughs) business. I'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah, You've already (laughs) talked about doing a lot of really bad shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to swipe that mustard. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was. I hope so. I don't blame him. (laughs) But Kemp walks forward, staring directly at the source of Jack's voice. But Jack scolds him, telling him not to look at him and to look straight ahead. Then he tells him to get a move on and kicks him in the ass. My uh, note is just, you're mean, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I was like, how much of this is the monocane and how much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, sh- <laughs> <laughs> but they arrive at the inn, sneaking around to the side where Jack directs Kemp's attention to the window that he'll be dropping the books from. The gate swings open again as Jack heads towards the front of the inn, telling Kemp to just stroll around as if he's looking for someone. As soon as Jack leaves... Kemp whisper shouts, Griffin, are you there? That's not what he asked. No. No. Now you're drawing attention. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you aren't my partner. But, yeah. <laughs> but what he does in a minute. Uh, fair. So I'm like, what What are we doing here? Yeah. From inside the crowded inn, we watch as the front door opens on its own. Everyone is on high alert, but Jenny says that it was just some neighborhood boys again. She heads outside, and there actually are some neighborhood boys peeking in the window. Yeah. But they're peeking in the window. They're not by the door at all. No, they're not. And y'all are looking for an invisible man. Also yeah. true. And she's just like, get out of here, kids. <laughs> no. Like, no. They scram. Yeah, they, do. they do. Well, they talk wow. shit on their way. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> 
But as the boys scream and shout as they run off, Jack has already snuck behind the bar and the camera follows his invisible movement up the stairs. I say invisible and not imperceptible because he's making a lot of noise. He is! He's not good at this yet. But I will say, again, the camera is following nothing, but I feel like we're following Jack. Yeah. Yeah. But he heads into the room and we see books close on their own, rise up from the floor and stack neatly on the table. The table is then knocked over and the books hover over to the window where Jack calls out for Kemp before dropping them with short notice into his hands. This is what I was talking about because he's like, Kemp! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was You're like, volume. who's upstairs? Yeah. yeah, who's he talking to? <laughs> you didn't creep in here. You're no. not. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And this is another thing, again, the effective wire work. Yeah. And the choreography, because you have the books, you have the table, you have the curtains, you have the drapes. Yeah. And the window, and it's all in quick succession. It is. It's and it's great. It, it is. is. And it was like oddly satisfying to watch those books stack on each other. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. It was really neat. But back in the bar, Bird has had enough and threatens to charge the whole town with conspiracy. But he also shares that he'll be announcing tonight that the whole thing was a hoax and that they'll all be the laughingstock of the entire country. The country? I, I don't know if country is used loosely like the country <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the countryside. Oh, or, okay. Or if he's like, that would make <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But in all fairness, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah, it, it probably is. would be the whole country. Yeah. But when he goes to write his report, the inkwell for his pen keeps moving just out of reach before it rises up and is thrown at him, splotching his face with it. Jenny shouts that he's here, the invisible man. And then she does the only thing she knows how to do. She screams wildly. Yeah, she, she does. Um, Jack reminds me of like those serial killers back in the day, like, um zodiac even hmm. or jack the ripper where you you're getting away with it mm-hmm. you've gotten away with what you came to do but you need them to know i'm real mm-hmm. yeah. i'm here it's me <laughs> it's just like you could have just left the fucking bar yeah, yeah. but now you got to do all you got to be playing with the ink you got to cause a whole scene just so that you can get credit when tomorrow he would have been like it's all a hoax and you could have roamed around yeah. and done whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, That's and then true. figured out your yeah, yeah. solution. You like, wanted nope. you wanted peace and and a, a space to do your work. You would have had that. Yeah, but you no, couldn't no. just leave. Nope. This is the invisible man speaking. No. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Jenny then hops onto the table. I was like, it's not the invisible mouse. It's yeah. The- <laughs> 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 All right. But Jack starts wrecking shop. He pelts Jenny, the bar patrons, and the police with glasses and beer as they all make a mad dash for the exit, running back to their homes. But left alone with Inspector Bird, Jack chokes him to the floor, asking, All a hoax? Once lowered to the ground, Jack smashes his face with a bar stool, killing him. I that's what I'm this fool, like, I had no idea how wild the invisible man was no no because that whole time he's talking shit and he's just like oh yeah check this out (laughs) i'm like dude i was like did he really fucking kill him i was very shocked see and i was kind of i was thinking with jaffers earlier yeah so i was like he probably just knocked him out yeah but then later (laughs) we'll talk yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i have to admit um it was so it was so funny because i watched this a lot as a kid obviously but 
rewatching it after so many years with Jules, mm. it was such an experience because there was stuff like this that I didn't remember. Yeah, yeah. I didn't remember him losing his mind in the bar and then murdering the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like some things that just were blocked out. Yeah. But he he he's doing a lot. <laughs> He's showing his whole ass. Oh, nah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, nah. yeah. yeah. <laughs> his ass is out. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> wow. out. <laughs> we can't see it. No. no. It's just yeah, but it's there. It's just for it's him. <laughs> <laughs> but Jack then returns to Kemp at the car, out of breath, sitting in the passenger seat and ordering Kemp to drive, and for his life, too. As Kemp speeds away, Jack asks him if he heard any screaming. Kemp asks what it was, and Jack says that he had to take in some exercise to keep warm. He casually shares that he killed a stupid little policeman, smashed his head in. You you did what? Yeah. yeah. I thought we came for books. No shit. As Kemp looks around disturbed by this news, Jack reminds him that they'll start in earnest tomorrow morning. It's like, this wasn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like the previews. This is the appetizer. <laughs> But we fade into Cranley arriving at the station to speak with Inspector Lane. Before heading inside, Cranley is interrupted by a newsboy played by John Merivale, who is handing out newspapers about the Invisible Man. I was like, it's 9 p.m. No, yeah. they had it ready quick. I think he's like, night paper! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it is the evening news, of course. Right, right. But it's wild to think that they they wake up the newsboy, they're like, get out of bed! Yeah. <laughs> we need you on the streets! And they had it with this. that. Yeah. It's 1933. That child was probably working three jobs. That's he was oh, out. yeah. Um, and labor laws. Yeah. yeah. He's working 26 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the, them being printed up already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Cranley snags an issue of the evening news, and the headline reads... Invisible Man Slays Policeman. The subheading says, Unseen Maniac Proves No Hoax. So again, he ruined his own opportunity. Yeah. yeah. But a few locals still debate whether it's a hoax or not, one of them comparing it to a magic trick that they saw once about a disappearing peanut. That was sleight of hand. Yeah. <laughs> a man is dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you should really be comparing the two. He's it's like, the peanut different. also strangled the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were all looking for that peanut. <laughs> it's just like this. <laughs> but back at Kemp's house, Jack rests comfortably back in his robe and bandages, sipping a cup of tea. He tells Kemp how it's going to be from here on out. He says that he always must remain in hiding for an hour or two after his meals because the food is visible inside of him until after it's digested. It's like, well, why not just wear clothes when you eat them? <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> he don't has know. a lot of stipulations. Yeah. He does. He says that he can also only work on fine, clear days. If he works in the rain, the water can be seen on his head and his shoulders. Now, this obviously the technology we can't see that here. Yeah. But in Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man. Yeah. And in Hollow Man. Yeah. Mm. We see water used in a very interesting way, and I think that was born here. Okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But he says that he can also be seen in the fog and in smoky cities where it rests on him like a bubble or it gives him a dark outline. Now you're saying this like you're doing your science experiments outside. Yeah, you're not. I like don't... you've lived, you have lived experience. Yeah. In all fairness, it has been a month, but 
I don't know how he sees himself to know. <laughs> yeah. Like unless somebody somebody's like, "What's that?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Just runs away. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like an outline or a yeah. bubble. Fuck! <laughs> oh goddamn it! <laughs> Can only run, work <laughs> on clear days. <laughs> I must tell whoever I choose as my partner. <laughs> But he says that Kemp must always be ready to wipe off his feet or clean the dirt from his fingernails so he's not detected. Hold hold on. Hmm. Hold on. So it's a clear day. It's a clear, nice day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can go out, wreck and shop or whatever the fuck you have planned for us to do. I have to stop <laughs> and wipe your feet and yeah. make sure that your feet are clean and do your nails. Why can't Jack do this? <laughs> yeah. He can see the dirt hovering. Like, just clean it. I was going to say, I can't even see you, dude. Yeah. How do you want me to see your fingernails to get under there? Like, that's... what do you want me for? Like, what What am I? What? That's my contribution? Yeah. No. It's very necessary. No. no. <laughs> but he also gives a bit of wisdom. Since we're so accustomed to watching our feet as we go, it's very difficult to learn how to go downstairs. But he admits that these are trivial difficulties and they'll find a way to defeat everything. As he smokes a cigarette, he tells Kemp that he'll sleep in the room opposite him. Also, bring him some more food at 8 p.m. <laughs> he got used dude. to that yeah. schedule at yeah. the end. <laughs> I will say there's like a slice in his bandages and he just eats a piece of bread and it's like... That looks hilarious. It is. <laughs> but he's eating now. Yeah. And he's like, more though. It's just a snack. <laughs> But he bids Kemp goodnight as he leaves, locking the door behind him. Jack then walks over to the mirror, taking off his dark glasses and robe and unwrapping his bandages. Seemingly headless and handless, a pair of pajamas switches off the light and climbs into bed, yawning. It's hilarious that he's just tuckered out. Yeah. <laughs> and going to bed like he didn't just murder a man with his bare hands. Yeah. I don't know, an hour ago? It's been a day. excuse me we're over it by now (laughs) i will say um this is incredible looking yeah i learned on commentary that according to fulton this was the most difficult shot in the whole film oh wow and the way that they accomplished it is it's it's it looks more seamless than what i'm about to tell you yeah they had to shoot four different takes to combine into one shot. Okay. So you have a shot of the wall in the mirror with the mirror itself masked by black velvet. Okay. You have the shot opposite of the wall, which is going to be reflected into the mirror. Then you have the invisible man unwrapping his bandages. Then you have the reflection of the invisible man. Okay. (laughs) And you have to time all of these to think that this invisible man that's standing there, the back of him, is a different shot than the reflection of him. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Hell it is. Yeah. And they had said that the difficulty of this is the way that the eye holes were in the bandages. Okay. The actor, if it was Claude Rains or the double, had to work blind because you can't see anything. Yeah. And so the way that they're doing it to time it right, they also said because of the helmet that was almost like a diver's helmet, Okay. Um, the actor couldn't breathe. Oh, shit. And so Claude Rains uh, or the double, they had a tube running up the leg for them to be able to breathe. Jesus Christ. Uh, Fulton said that there were a few times that the double, the tube got clogged. (gasps) Yeah. And so with the heat of them working under these lights, he passed out several times. Several times? Yeah. And he stuck with it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. 
And uh, I mean, you know, they're like, yeah. you got three losses of consciousness. <laughs> <on me." laughs> Tops. I yeah. lose consciousness yeah. that fourth time yeah, I walk. That's it. <laughs> but you're still paying me. <laughs> <laughs> but back at the lion's head, Bird's body is carried away, covered in a sheet by a couple of uncredited officers. A team of detectives led by the chief, played by Dudley Diggies, gather around a table looking over a map. He puts Thompson, played by Robert Adair, in charge of the East Country. Neville, who's uncredited, takes the opposite section. Stonard, who is also uncredited, is put in charge of the search of the surrounding hills. And Hogan, played by Bob Reeves, is given all the villages out to the river. The chief acknowledges their terrible responsibility, but says they'll comb the country 20 miles around in search of the Invisible Man. At least he's taking it seriously. Yes. Well, it it took losing one of your own. Yeah. Yeah. But he says that he may even be standing beside them now, which causes all the detectives to look over their shoulder. But the chief reminds them that he's only human and they will get him. Maybe he lives next door mm. to you. <laughs> that is the scariest thing that he could have said. Yeah. yeah. Why would you say that? He's like, he could be in here right now. And he says that a lot. Yeah. He yeah. could be listening right now. <laughs> it's true, but what? you don't. Yeah. I'm already scared, dude. <laughs> Literally. What I thought was funny is that why all this is going on, he's asleep. He's just, yeah, he's that's just yeah. there in his room. Dude, them cutting back to him is the yeah, funniest thing. Yeah, I was like, for real? You're in there napping like a baby. These fools are going nuts. Uh-huh. All the mayhem that he's caused. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that can be a comment on the way that the public gets whipped up. Yeah. You know? And the way that the media kind of creates these monsters. Yeah. True. That's true. But we star wipe to a montage. <laughs> <laughs> it's jarring. It is. Yeah. But the policemen are mobilizing across the area, and the chief says that they'll have a 1,000 men out there tonight, and by the morning, 10,000 volunteers, thanks to a broadcast warning going out tonight. But as we watch a car speed down the road and police searching through bare trees, he says at all cost, they must avoid a panic. The chief says to remember that the invisible man will leave tracks, even if he himself is invisible. Meanwhile, Jack is fast asleep in bed. (laughs) Dude... His invisible head leaving an indentation on his pillow. That looks amazing. Yeah. Yes. But it's some kind of dance or box social or something. (laughs) In a very decorated and populated hall, the light and fun evening comes to a halt when an announcement comes over the radio about the invisible man who has attacked and killed a police inspector and is now at large. Can you imagine you're at a dance, you're just trying to do like the fucking Charleston or whatever, <laughs> and the radio cuts in with the scariest shit you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. I, dude, <laughs> I'm just imagining it. It's like, oh, we interrupt this yeah. fun and light evening <laughs> with the scariest goddamn thing you've ever We interrupt the last carefree evening you'll ever have <laughs> of your entire life. Again, everybody's having fun. Yeah. And I, and no, to answer your question and to, to hear, look, it's not them saying a criminal has escaped and is at large. Right. There is an invisible yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the more this goes on, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. This couldn't be scarier. Mm-hmm. And he's already murdered someone. Yeah. yeah. The camera presses in on a gramophone as the announcer says that the police plead with the public for help and assistance and to report at their local station if they are willing to volunteer. We crossfade to an elderly couple listening from the warmth of their home, a group of children gathered by their beds at an orphanage, and a young couple preparing themselves for the fugitive. Cut it off in the orphanage. Yeah. The children do not need to fucking hear this. Yeah. Lock the orphanage down. Uh-huh. 
cut the radio that off. That is kind of wild that they're playing them. Because they're all yeah. like, oh, fuck. Like, those yeah. kids are scared to death. Go yeah. to sleep now, yeah. children. <laughs> well, good night. <laughs> but the announcer shares that the Invisible Man works without clothing and will most likely look for shelter, urging listeners to close and lock their doors. He is solid, but cannot be seen. An old man sits by his radio as word of a thousand pound reward will be given to anyone who aids in the capture of the invisible man. I think if I'm not mistaken, because I, I had to go to two inflation sites because of pounds from oh, yeah. 31 to 2023 yeah. to uh, US dollars, because I was curious. Yeah. Okay. But that is about 60,000 pounds in today's money. Damn. Say less. 75,000 American dollars. Damn. Say less. I'll go... I mean, wrestle with the naked freak. Yeah. <laughs> I saw him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's right Around. there. Yeah. Grab him. See him? Yeah. And where's my check? <laughs> but with the camera pulling back from the gramophone now, the announcer urges the public to keep calm and to alert the police of any information. The music then resumes, but nobody feels like dancing. No, how dare you resume the music? Yeah. Like, you didn't just say the worst thing I've ever <laughs> yeah. fucking heard in my life. No, 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 no. That's over now. Yeah, it's yeah. ruined. I'm crying. <laughs> but we're treated to another montage of several doors slammed, locked, bolted, chained, and barricaded. So again, I, I love the zooming into the gramophone. Yeah. Coming out of it. And then also this, that has to be commentary on being whipped up into a frenzy. Yeah. yeah. And the the absolute audacity, but keep calm. Yeah. <laughs> but here's this insane amount of money that we're going to dangle in front of you. Yeah. And also the man is invisible. So <laughs> yes. fire wildly into the night. It's like you have set up a perfect storm for something awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they do say, they keep saying we can't let the public panic. Yeah. So it it is yeah it's like dude they're go I would panic yes if I'm if something uh some kind of alert comes over my phone and it's yeah. like look this is not a test there's an invisible, invisible man yeah that's <laughs> like I'm going home but I <laughs> I didn't even think about what you just said Nay until now about the the possible ramifications of this yes we're thinking about <laughs> I just shot Ted Hollister yes. Yes. <laughs> like, it's it's gonna be bad yeah meanwhile Jack continues to sleep soundly. Snoring, even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't realize this is interesting to know now that he does that. Yeah. yeah that's true. It's a little yeah. foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Kemp listens at the door and then heads downstairs to his sitting room, closing and locking the door behind him before rushing for his telephone. He phones Cranley in his office, telling him that it's something ghastly. It's Jack Griffin. He's come back. Huddled over his phone, Kemp reveals that Jack is the Invisible Man. He's gone mad. He killed a man tonight, and he's here right now, asleep in Kemp's home. Cranley tries to keep Kemp calm, telling him that no one else knows that the Invisible Man is Jack Griffin, so he'll be around in the morning. Kemp's like, the morning? Uh, so yeah. was I. <laughs> <laughs> he tells him he needs to come here now. Cranley says that this would only draw suspicion from Jack, and he urges Kemp to keep him calm and quiet for the night. He tells Kemp that he trusts him <laughs> and hangs up. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just hang up on me? Yes. yes. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. Oh. And again, no reaction. No. Like, everybody is really underreacting to what the fuck is going yeah. on. <laughs> but behind Cranley stands Flora, who pleads with her father to tell her what's going on. She promises that she isn't afraid, and he reluctantly tells her very plainly, 
Jack Griffin's come back. He's at Kemp's house now. Jack Griffin is the invisible man. Again, no no reaction. No. Yeah. Not how did he do this? Yeah. <laughs> or well, I've been out of my mind with worry. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was sobbing the last time you guys saw me. Mm-hmm. But she's just like, huh. huh. So has she not heard about what's going on? See, and that's the question, because if we're talking about the Invisible Man, all that we know about him is that he's gone on a rampage and killed a few people. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's uh, wild. Yeah. yeah. And you're telling me that that's my partner? Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? She's like, well, damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, what we learned from her, she's she's a writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> that's a very yeah, fair no, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we cut to an informant on the phone, played by John Carradine. That's right. John Carradine. Really? Father of David and Keith. Yeah. What? Yes. Okay. And prolific actor in his own right. Yeah. Well, yeah, but- But, yeah, in this small, tiny role. That's crazy. From what I read, he wasn't even using the name John Carradine yet. That's wild. Yeah. And he was just taking small roles like this in random films. All right. Bill from Kill yeah. Bill. <laughs> His father. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. another turn. An- God. <laughs> <laughs> we can't get away. We can't and get away. And Dexter. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's one. One Dexter. Five Tarantinos. <laughs> but the informant phones the police, reminding them of how the invisible man splashed Inspector Bird with ink. He suggests spraying the Invisible Man with ink until they hit him and can see him, and then they can shoot him. A second informant, played by Leo White, suggests watching for the Invisible Man's breath in the cold weather. But a third call comes into the police, from Kemp. Rather than wait on Cranley, he tells them that the Invisible Man is in his house, asleep upstairs, and to come at once. This did make me laugh because he hung up on him and he's like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah. I'm not sleeping in the house with this. Di- There's no fucking way. And then when he calls, he goes, is this the police? Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. It's like I dialed three numbers very frantically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Domino's Pizza. Yeah. What are you doing? I don't know. This dude's going to fucking throttle you. Yes. Yeah. He's he- told you. Yes. That that uh, that's where I was. He's like you said. He got off the phone, or dude hung up on him. And yeah. He's like, oh fuck that. It's like, dude, you've been warned. You you picked him up after he just killed after somebody. he murdered someone yeah. and was just talking about it like he went to pick up groceries and he's asleep. And, yeah. and he but he could be in the room right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Better listen for that snore. <laughs> <laughs> but Jaffers takes the call, reluctantly telling him that there's only five men left at the station and everyone else is out searching. But he says that they should send a hundred men. But back with the Cranleys, the doctor tells Flora to just let he and Kemp handle it. And when Flora asks if she can see Jack, Cranley tells her that she can, but only when he's well. But Flora convinces him that her influence will be more effective on Jack than anyone else, even when he tells her that Jack is unhinged and not in his right mind. Cranley once again suggests that they just do it in the morning. (laughs) Procrastination king. Yes. (laughs) But Flora reminds him that this is life or death and rushes upstairs, telling him that she'll go it alone. But at his home, Kemp nervously peers through the drapes for the arrival of the police, but is startled when there's a knock on the door. He very suspiciously calls out, Who's that? Who's that? Yeah. Why would you do that? Be yeah. <laughs> of course it's Jack, but you don't want Jack to know you're afraid. Yeah. 
But Jack just calmly asks Kemp to unlock the door and let him in. Kemp does so fearfully, but then come the questions. Kemp says that the reason he's down here is because he couldn't sleep, and he locked the door because, well, he was afraid. Jack, his face bandaged and wearing his robe, reminds Kemp that there's no reason to be afraid. They're partners. Bosom friends. Not bosom friends. Yeah. That's even more than friends. Yeah, yeah. but you don't sound like it. I don't yeah. believe no, you. Yeah. No. <laughs> but to prove this, Jack puts a friendly gloved hand on Kemp's shoulder, reminding him of their busy day ahead tomorrow and telling him that he must sleep. He guides Kemp back to his bedroom, but very loudly and through a large window, a car pulls up outside. <laughs> Jack offers a calm, I see. (laughs) 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 And he puts it all together, seeing right through Kemp's lies, assuming that he phoned the police. Kemp continues with the lie, which is aided by the fact that it isn't the police that pulled up. It's Cranley and Flora. Jack stares through the window, offering a wistful, Flora. Yeah, it's like you did. They just didn't believe you. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And they'll be here later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hold tight. Yeah. But Kemp says that he had to tell the Cranleys that Jack was back, telling him that Flora was mad with anxiety. And Jack admonishes himself, asking how he could forget. So this is just taking him over completely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it, that is a believable lie. When he came yeah. in, he's like, well, I, I just couldn't sleep. So I am down here and I, I just I couldn't sleep. It's like, it's dude, like, dude. Th- you're lying. Oh, you're clearly. lying. Yeah. So like, I can understand how this is like, oh, okay, that's what you were doing. I get to see Flora, whatever, yeah. you know, because he is very calm about all of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because he was like, let's get you to bed. We got a lot of killing <laughs> <Yeah>. tomorrow. <laughs> Tonight was just a taste, buddy. <laughs> My bosom friend. <laughs> But Kemp lets them inside as Jack goes to prepare himself in his room. He tells Cranley that Jack wishes to see Flora alone and that he's much calmer now. And against her father's pleading, Flora ascends the stairs. I love that she was dressed to the nines. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a middle of the night emergency. And she was like, now, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get ready. Well, she ran upstairs. We saw. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's going to go see her man. She hasn't seen him in a month. Yeah. <laughs> Kemp assures Cranley that Jack was a different man when he saw Flora through the window, but says that they must use this time now to prepare things, suggesting they chloroform him while he's sleeping. What? Yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very scared, all right? Would yeah. you be like, the yeah. police, I've already phoned the police, yeah. we just need to keep him here yeah. and keep him calm. You gotta like, make that quick. Yeah. Chloroform him. <laughs> but Flora enters Jack's chambers, finding him sat at a table, very casually reading a book. <laughs> it's like, oh, Flora, is that you? I, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm a very busy scientist. I... <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but Flora is surprised by his appearance, but she reaches out for him without hesitation, clasping his hands in a sweet reunion. They sit down together by the window as Jack compliments her appearance, including her tiny hat. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I even like that ugly ass hat. Yeah. <laughs> what, dude? Welcome back, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> I missed you too, Jack. <laughs> Why the fuck was I crying over no. you? But he does see that she's been crying. <laughs> Flora tells him that she wants to help, but asks why he did this to himself. 
<laughs> I was just, I was just laughing, thinking about him earlier with Kemp, and he's like, "We're gonna kill a lot of people, Flora." Yeah, like a lot, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and that's why I've done yeah. this. <laughs> but Jack pulls a Walter White, telling her that he did this for her. Uh uh-uh. uh Yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> he says that he wanted to do something tremendous to achieve what scientists have dreamt of since the world began to gain wealth and fame and honor, and to write his name above the greatest scientists of all time. In other words, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Where was I in any of that? <laughs> but he admits that he was pitifully poor and had nothing to offer Flora. But now, and he promises to come back to her as the secrets of invisibility is within his books. He says that he'll work in Kim's laboratory until he finds a way back. And he repeats his mantra, there is a way back. And he promises again to come back to her. But then his tone takes on something more frightening and sinister, telling him that he'll come back to her and offer his secret to the world with all of its terrible power. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> what, was that? what was the last thing he said? He has more. <laughs> he says nations will bid for it. Thousands, millions. And the nation who wins his secret can sweep the world with invisible armies. Jack holds his skull as Flora pleads with him to let her father help him until he finds the solution that will bring him back to them. Yeah, dude, you're invisible, not invincible. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I understand the... I've played Metal Gear Solid. Stealth, yeah, but- <laughs> Stealth is important. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. But she reminds him of their peaceful days that they once had. Out under the trees, after his work in the evening, Jack snaps at her, mocking her father's supposed cleverness, insulting his brain as that of a tapeworm or a maggot next to his. All right, okay. (laughs) So now you've screamed for power. Mm -hmm. You've talked about world domination. Right. And you've called my dad stupid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that we have a problem. This is the new Jack, baby. I don't know know if we're going to make it out of this. He asks if she understands what invisibility means. It means power. Power to make the world grovel at his feet. Flora tries to appeal to him, telling him what her father discovered about Monacane that he even doesn't know. It changes you, and it makes you feel differently. She begs him to stay with them and fight this thing out together. Jack counters... Power, I said. Listen. <laughs> you did another bump, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm back. Yeah, like, God damn, he's got a one-track mind. Yeah. He's putting monocane in his gums. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, please. But he says it's the power to walk into gold vaults of nations, into the secrets of kings, into the holy of holies, power to make multitudes run and squeal in terror at the touch of his invisible finger. He stares into the night sky, proposing that even the moon is frightened of him. The whole world is frightened to death. The moon? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I thought it was made of cheese, but now yeah. it's... <laughs> now it's made of fear. Yeah. <laughs> But after he's finished monologuing, (laughs) he notices something else through the window. A horde of policemen mobilizing in silence and surrounding Kim's house. He responds as he did before. (laughs) I see. (laughs) 
He's really he's taking it in stride. Yeah. <laughs> he recounts the events of Kemp's evening in accurate detail, including his breach of Jack's trust. He tells Flora that she has to go, and when she pleads to help him, he promises once again to come back to her. He swears it because he will defeat them. He says that Kemp broke his trust, mm-hmm. that he had yeah. given him his word of honor. <laughs> I don't remember that. I just remember you threatening him a lot. Yeah. yeah. He never said, I'll no. do this at all. He didn't. He actually like, was very afraid. Yeah, he just Clearly. did what you told him to do. Yeah. <laughs> but he kisses Flora's hand with all the love in his invisible heart. But Flora insists that he just stay and hide. He reminds her jovially that the whole world is his hiding place. He could just stay right here and laugh at them. He leads her out of his room, closing the door behind her and stripping off his clothes. So this is why I said Flora's a ride or die. Mm -hmm. Because he's literally like, I'm going to go kill all those police. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and after you've murdered the police, (laughs) (laughs) you'll find me, right? It's like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Then we'll be together. (laughs) You said forever, Jack. (laughs) Oh my God. You weren't listening to anything I just said. (laughs) She's into it. But outside, as the police link hands together to form an unbreakable chain, Flora collapses in her father's arms at the bottom of the stairs in tears. Kemp watches from the window in his sitting room, opening it up to watch the police advance as one unit onto his property. Seemingly alone in the room, Jack's voice is heard, thanking Kemp for opening the window for him. As Kemp cowers, Jack facetiously calls him a true friend, a man to trust. And he says that though he has no time now, as surely as the moon will set and the sun will rise, he will kill Kemp tomorrow night. Okay. All right. (laughs) He promises to kill him even if he hides in the deepest cave of the earth. At 10 o'clock tomorrow night, (laughs) he will kill him. I had to pause it because I couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) It was already funny to me. Okay, yeah, of course you're going to threaten to kill him. That's kind of what you've been on this whole time. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow night? Uh, Yeah. Was hilarious to me. 10 o'clock? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's making a date. Yeah. I couldn't even handle it. That's that's fucking hilarious. So specific. Yeah. We got a time, I guess, at least. And then, yeah, yeah, it's like he thought about it because he was like, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be busy for the most yeah. of the day. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, I mean, that's honestly scarier. Yeah. If you're watching the clock. Mm-hmm. Not only watching the clock, but the certainty with which he speaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you have an entire day to prepare. It doesn't matter. I'm coming for that ass. <laughs> like that's that's scary. And he says you can hide in a cave. Yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't a- matter. After all these other killings. Yeah. yeah. Yours is last. <laughs> you're on the list. Yeah. <laughs> But as Jack makes his unseen exit, Kemp shouts wildly for the police to help him. Jack, however, just decides to make a fool of the entire police force, smacking faces, pinching noses, stealing hats, kicking asses, and chuckling wildly. But the police continue their linked advance until Jack grabs one of them by the feet, swinging him around like it's nothing, pantsing him, and then tossing him to his confused cohorts. Jack, please! He did not need to pants him. (laughs) And again, just like I was saying earlier, you could have slipped away. Yeah, You could have just run away. He can't fucking help himself. 
But why didn't they dogpile him when he was there? You see that he's swinging this dude around. They're like, is he invisible? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do that. <laughs> like, which one does he have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does Johnson just do that? Or <laughs> when he's scared? Right, I've never seen him do that That's before. That's weird. That's <laughs> impressive. But they fall over each other trying to grab him. And Jack just climbs over the wall of the property, dragging the pants along with him. One cop, he goes, fair play. Yeah, <laughs> he just wanted it more <laughs> but we cut to a screaming woman played by Mary Gordon running for her life down the street as a skipping and singing pair of pants chases after her this is hilarious it yeah. is too much fun it's great yeah all the shit talk he does and then this it's like oh you you're enjoying this yeah so much yeah and you again these motivations of these universal monsters yeah this is out of left field oh yeah (laughs) yeah this is nothing like frankenstein (laughs) but back at kemp's home kemp cranley and flora are grilled by the chief of police played by holmes herbert He asks what the Cranleys were doing here at two o'clock in the morning and why Kemp phoned them before the police, suggesting that Cranley knows who the Invisible Man is. In fact, he understands that Cranley has another assistant aside from Dr. Kemp, and he asks where Dr. Jack Griffin is. Now that's just good old-fashioned police work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Why why would you call them before you called the police? Mm Mm-hmm. Come on. And they, they did not make it hard to piece together. Yeah. And I, <laughs> this, this makes me laugh so hard because Cranley just looks away and very cryptically says, he's gone away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Kemp, Kemp goes, it's Griffin. Yeah. yeah he's, he's like, like, dude. Why are we hiding this? <laughs> Who are we protecting? Uh, they already figured it out. Yeah. Yes. And Kemp is all frantic because he's like, he's going to kill me tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But he then goes on a paranoid rant about all the places that Jack could be hiding right now while they sit here and do nothing. We cut immediately to the police bringing their findings to the chief detective, who sits defeated, admitting that he would give a thousand pounds for a logical idea of how to find Jack. In the morning, volunteers continue their search through the countryside, but when one wanders off alone, he is seized by invisible hands around his throat. Jack (laughs) Jack announces... Here I am. Aren't you pleased you found me? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jack just throws the man off of a cliff and then tosses another, asking him to keep the first man company. (laughs) This too. You're that close to them that you're pushing them off. Nobody's just taking a wild swing at the air behind them. No, they're they're, uh, immobile. It was horror. (laughs) And it it really is. They're all gathered at the cliff. Yeah. And then he just tosses another one. Look at where the footprints are, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the voice. Uh, yeah, yeah, that too. He's straight up speaking yeah. at full volume. Just talking shit. He is. But that night, as a train leaves a station, Jack sneaks in, surprising the railroad switchman played by Burt Young with a lamp to the back of the head. Jack flips a few levers and we watch as the tracks beneath the train shift, sending it careening off the side of a hill Passengers screaming in terror as they plummet to their certain deaths. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, I don't think this was part of like my checklist. What was going to happen in The Invisible Man? No. Uh, he And he joked that they would he, break a train. It, yeah. was, it was an offhand, maybe we'll break a train yeah. or two or whatever. Yeah. 
what what are you doing and you know you've got a date with him tonight yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's out here acting a fucking fool and he's not done no. no and all this stuff we learn it makes the paper and fucking flora's like will he come back to me <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you, you he's almost done yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want <that> back <laughs> I did learn that this train derailment was a three-quarter inch scale. Okay. It was created by Charlie Baker, and he worked in tandem with John Fulton, but it was reused in a ton of different Universal projects because they were also proud of it. Oh, very nice. It, they it should be. Yeah. It looked great. Yeah. But we then cut to behind the desk of a bank. A till slowly floating outward and above the heads of oblivious bankers and carried outside. Jack offers the passing pedestrians a gift from the invisible man, singing as he dumps the till out onto the ground and they rush for it to pick up a few pounds. I, I, this was quite confusing to yes. me on a lot of levels. Um, firstly, I don't think that I knew all the words to Pop Goes the Weasel until he said <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Um, <laughs> Watching him murder this train full of innocent people mm -hmm. and then do this weird fucking Robin Hood shit at the yeah. bank was very confusing. And also nobody saw that fucking till floating yeah, out the door. Yeah, no shit. I know that we're all busy and our minds on our money or whatever, but <laughs> nobody's not one person saw that. No, and he was slow about it. <laughs> yeah. No no urgency. No. And then to go out there and be like, everyone, Merry yeah. Christmas. <laughs> it's just like I thought you were evil. Yeah. Yeah. That's my same note. So you killed a train, like uh, you knocked over a train, probably killing a bunch of people in there. Definitely. Who, who knows what else goods and services that were being tra transferred on there as well. Then you go rob a bank and give it away. Yeah. What? Just give it away. Yeah. I. He's a complicated man. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a good mood after yeah. the train thing. <laughs> But we fade to a room full of policemen, detectives, and reporters. The chief detective sharing that 20 members of the search parties have been killed, and the train disaster resulted in over 100 deaths as well. With the Invisible Man having been reported in over 100 locations, he pleads with the reporters to keep the public calm. Well, it kind of looks like he may have been in 100 different yeah. places. I mean... He was showing out. Yeah. He's, he's very busy. Yeah. <laughs> but one reporter... Played by Dwight Fry, steps forward asking what plans they have for catching him. Dwight Fry, Renfield. Yeah. Okay. See, I My thought you looked fucking familiar. I was like, that guy looks familiar. And then after that, I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. He's all right. he's a mainstay in these original, uh, incredible, yeah. Universal, and even in small roles like this. Yeah, I gotta I'm a get fake him in fan. There. Yeah. I didn't even see him. <laughs> Well, he was wearing glasses. No, he was, yeah. He wasn't shouting about bugs. No. <laughs> spiders yeah. screaming. <laughs> but the chief responds that 100,000 men are searching and watching, but the reporter was hoping for something more concrete. After learning of a 2,000-pound reward, the reporter suggests the use of bloodhounds or wet tar to chase after his footprints, but the chief isn't up for it. But he says that they have one hope. But he won't share it here because the invisible man could be in this room for all they know. It's really scary that you keep saying that. But yeah. I he is really smart and tactical about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
because he could. Yeah, he could. He could be standing right behind him, like ready to choke him. Like, yeah. we don't know. And no one would stop him. No. no. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing as well is I thought that he was just lying to the reporter. Right. And then after the reporter's left, he's like, oh, we got nothing. No, yeah. yeah. But he does have a no, plan. No, we have yeah. a plan. At the Cranley's home, the doctor tries to ease his daughter's mind and tells her to get some sleep. The camera presses in as she sits in a chair, distraught, Cranley telling her that there's nothing they can do but hope that the police take him without harming him. But she stares longingly at his picture after her father leaves and breaks down and sobs. Back with the detectives and constables at Kemp's home, the chief detective has his subordinates sweep the room with a net to make sure that they're alone. And once they are, he has them sit crisscross applesauce in front of him. Um, I feel like making them sit like children at story time was a power move. <laughs> yeah. And somebody should have <laughs> yeah, someone should have uh, thrown a few kicks in the fireplace. Just in case. Just in case. They just light the fire <laughs> and you're screaming. <laughs> but the chief shares his plan. With Dr. Kemp in attendance, and this is when I realized they're still in Kemp's home. They're just using it as headquarters. Yeah. yeah. But the chief says that they have an opportunity tonight to stop the invisible man. They know where he intends to be at 10 o'clock, and he's certain that Jack will appear, and even more, he'll probably scope out the place beforehand before making his move. So, at 9.30, Kemp will leave for the police station with a police escort, and Jack is certain to be nearby to carry out his plan. Kemp rises to his feet, furious that he's about to be used as bait, but the chief promises that he'll be safe. Kemp exaggerates Jack's abilities, saying that he can walk through walls, which... No, yeah, you know no. he can't. Inconclusive. You yeah. opened the window and he was like, thanks for opening the window, Father. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't <laughs> yeah. walk through these. <laughs> he knocked on the door earlier. He yeah. did. He could have just... Whatever. He's just scared. And this is another difference in the novel, because in the novel, Kemp is like, I'll be the bait. Oh. Mm. He's coming after me because he calls the police on him. Yeah. He's like, he's coming after me um, just stick with me and we can catch him. Right. So, I mean, it's like they really make him kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> <in the movie>. <laughs> <laughs> but Kemp insists that he can't sit waiting at the police station. He says Jack will murder them all, take the keys, and then come for him. The chief meets him halfway. If Kemp is afraid to stay at the police station, there's a secret way out through the inspector's private house, and he can leave immediately once he arrives. He says they'll disguise him as a policeman and he can exit with other uniformed police officers undetected. He says that once they're back at Kemp's home, Kemp is instructed to get back into his car and drive away into the country and not return until he's heard that Jack has been captured. But the chief also has a few tricks up his sleeve. And outside, he shows the officers how to use a spray paint gun. One splash on Jack's skin and it will give them something to follow. One officer asks, why not just spray the top of the wall? And the chief says that Jack would smell it. Instead, he plans to put loose earth on top of the wall, and the slightest touch will disturb it, and they'll have him trapped. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. The officer who asked admits that it's a pretty good plan, and he kind of disappears. Everybody's a critic. I was like, what do you mean pretty good? This is the best we've got. Yeah. What else are you doing? You just got to be careful. Don't spray it in anybody's eyes. Just yeah. the invisible guy. Just Jack's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> but we cut to the plan and action at 930. A group of police with Kemp at their center marching towards the station. And the second they leave, Jack seemingly sneaks inside of Kemp's front gate, sarcastically acknowledging the cleverness of the police. <laughs> 
He's just ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Kemp is taken inside the station, the outside walls surrounded by officers holding their spray guns. Within 20 minutes until 10 o'clock, one officer calls the chief over, saying that he heard footsteps outside. Soft footsteps, like naked feet. Not naked feet. <laughs> and we're back to Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But as they put their ear to the wall, Kemp is being outfitted in his fake police costume and loaded into a car. He's rushed back home, where he tells the driver that he plans to escape into the mountains a hundred miles away. He exits the vehicle and gets into his own, passing the gate where Jack once was to enter his garage. Back at the station, the chief ponders Jack's next move, with ten minutes until ten o'clock, assuming of all the routes, he'll try the wall. Just then, a small, adorable white cat skulks past, making his way onto the wall and toppling the loose dirt on the head of a policeman. Assuming it's the invisible man, the white cat is sprayed black and runs away in fright. My note was, do not spray that cat. Yeah. And, I'm, and he sprayed the cat. Yeah. yeah. And that cat was really sprayed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Bob Barker said, spay and neuter. Not, <laughs> not spray. Not spray. But the dirt-covered cop assembles all the men at his position, insisting that the invisible man is here with them now. But we quickly learn that he isn't. We cut to Kemp speeding down the road, so relieved to be getting away into the mountains, only to hear Jack's voice from behind him, telling him that he thinks this will do nicely. God damn it! (laughs) And as a bell rings, Jack forces Kemp to stop the car, telling him it's 10 o'clock and he's here to keep his promise. Currently dressed as a policeman, Kemp says it's all a mistake. He never told the police. Dude. (laughs) A liar till the end. I respect it. (laughs) I'm not even Kemp. I'm Kemp's twin. It was all part of the plan. (laughs) I was twin hemp. (laughs) We have different last names. I don't know why. Please don't kill me. But he begs with Jack to let him be his partner again. But Jack describes his cold and uncomfortable journey to be here with him in this moment. He followed him every step of the way, from his house to the police station where he was changed, on the running board of the car that took him home. On the running board? Yeah. And this is after he did like all that shit today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sideshow bobbed himself under the... <laughs> but he seizes Kemp choking him by his scarf, pulling him out of the car into the cold to tie him up, lifting him invisibly back into the passenger seat, then driving away with him. This is just amazing. Yeah. Everything that they do. And whenever he picked him up, I'm like, this is fucking... Yeah. yeah. I can't even believe this. It It is still kind of hard to believe how they did this in yeah. fucking 33. But Jack tells Kemp that he hopes his car is insured because there's about to be a nasty accident. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, he he can't help himself. Kemp pleads for his life, but Jack doesn't want to hear it, describing every morbid detail of the accident that's about to happen as soon as he releases the parking brake, up to and including the car crashing through the railing, careening down 100 yards, Kemp doing a somersault out of it once it hits a boulder, probably breaking his arms, and for the finale, his neck. All right. Yeah. The somersault was a... Yeah. "Ah." (laughs) God damn. 
Jack bids him farewell, calling him not only a dirty little coward, but a sneaking little rat as well. The brake released. Jack laughs maniacally as the car bursts through the railing, its metal crashing against the rocks, turning over and bursting into flames as it reaches the bottom. Well, we didn't get a somersault. No. no. But goddamn. Yeah. He did burst into flames. He did. He did. Can't believe he was made of fire (laughs) that was his experiment it was (laughs) man this guy's a real jerk yeah (laughs) but the laugh you gotta love the laugh he is having the time of his life oh yeah but we cut to some indistinct time later the police gathered at the station attempting to find a way to catch the invisible man they assume that he has to eat and drink and they attempt to tie a recent robbery of a cafe to him but then remember that regular people commit crimes too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, did you see the man that yeah, in the cafe? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, never mind. never mind. I don't think it was him then. Yeah. But at a farm, we see a barn door open on its own, footprints cut through hay, and an invisible body lies down to rest for the evening. Jack remarks comfortably, but immediately sneezes. Same. Oh, literally. <laughs> But an old farmer, played by Robert Brower, marches through the cold and into his barn, but is startled to hear snoring. He pokes the invisible man's body and then sneaks away. But back at the police station, the chief detective directs everyone's attention to the window. It's snowing heavily outside. He says that they wanted help, and there it is. The chief of police urges an officer to find out if snow is all over the country and to send out a broadcast message the invisible man will be forced to seek shelter from the cold. The old farmer arrives at the police station, complaining to the officer there about breathing he heard in his barn. He says it must be the invisible man. And from here, things move very quickly. So quickly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel like all these universal films, like there's there's a lot of build and then the end is like, oh, we need to get to... Like, all right, now wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The chief of police tells the chief detective that even if the farmer is wrong... They can't leave anything to chance. He says they should surround the barn and force him out into the snow by setting fire to the structure. But my barn? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what else can you do? You can't even see the dude. Yeah. Hey, Gaspar, I mean... are you going to buy me a new barn? We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you are getting a reward. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I can buy my own new yeah. barn. Which is pretty fucked or up. It's like my own new out of my own reward. I have yeah, to that's yeah. what. <laughs> that should be separate. <laughs> but within moments, hundreds of police are mobilized in trucks, cars, and even bicycles. They venture through the snow with the old man who directs their attention to the windowless barn, and he earns that 1,000 pound reward for his efforts. The chief directs his men to surround the area, and we watch them take their positions. All covered in snow, the chief detective says that they must fire now, and he urges the men to move in single file to leave the snow for the invisible man's feet alone. Wood is gathered around the barn, doused in gasoline and set aflame. A searchlight now on the barn, the invisible man stirs awake, surrounded by smoke, and makes a slow exit through the snow, footprint after footprint. The police advance, the chief detective watching as the footprints grow more hurried and frantic, and he aims his gun and fires. The footprints cease, and the camera follows to the side of the path as a man-shaped crater is carved out of the snow with a thud as the barn burns brightly in the background. The police kneel successful at the wounded body of the invisible man. I was like, oh, 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. That was a plan. Uh, it worked. It worked. Yeah. I, I did learn as well on commentary how they did these footprints. Okay. They dug out a trench in the snow and they covered it with a board where the footprints had been cut. Okay. And the cutout footprints were supported by pegs. And so they looped rope around these pegs. And so pulling them out would pull out the pegs, which would drop down. Uh, that is so cool. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's wild to even be this inventive. Yeah. Because it looks really cool when he's walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you hear the shots and then just the snow indents. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, shit. And all these footprints, you have to see how long the path must have been. Yeah. How many ropes were pulled. And the footprints, they they... The timing. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. That's so cool. But later at the hospital, a doctor played by Jameson Thomas walks into the lobby from Jack's room, dispersing the police presence that he now deems unnecessary, telling the chief that Jack is very near his end. The doctor then approaches Cranley, telling him that at dawn, Jack grew very quiet and requested to see Flora, who we learn is waiting downstairs. Cranley asks if Jack could survive, but the doctor tells him that the bullet passed through both of his lungs and it's impossible to treat the wound. He asks if Flora would be well enough to see him because he warns that at the end it'll be quite terrible as the effects of the drugs will die with Jack and his body will become visible as life leaves him. He's like, every other time this has happened, (laughs) they reappear. That is true. It's probably going to happen this time. (laughs) Why didn't they like uh, flatliner him, man? Like fucking, he dies and then they shock him back to life if the drugs wear off if he die. And the doctor knows oh, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> he did derail a train. He did a lot. <laughs> yeah, he needed to be stopped. It was yeah. too much. I mean. But Cranley gathers Flora and they walk into Jack's room where he lies in invisible mass under the blankets. The men turn away to give them privacy as Flora sits next to Jack, holding his hand. He tells her that he knew she'd come and that he wanted to come back to her, but he failed. I mean, like you could have. Yeah. Instead of all the shit you were running around and doing, but Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. You know, honestly, the same night that they had their heartfelt reunion. Yeah. Was the night he derailed that train. Yeah. (laughs) No shit. So (laughs) priorities, but God damn. (laughs) (laughs) Jack says that he meddled in things that man must leave alone. He lets out a weak groan as Flora calls out to her father, who holds his daughter close to him as she cries. In a tight shot above Jack's bed, we see the indentation of his invisible head at his pillow, features slowly fading in, the outline of a skull, followed shortly by musculature, then finally, flesh and hair as Jack slips into death. The camera pulls back as the music grows dramatic in its conclusion. So this effect is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it it, it blows my mind every single time. Mm-hmm. And in that article in American Cinematographer, right. Fulton had talked about how they did it. Okay. He said that the pillow and the indentation and all was made of plaster. Ah. And he said that the blankets were paper mache. Wow. <laughs> and so each time what they do is they just do the same shot over and over again. Mm-hmm. First with a skeleton that was a real life skeleton, by the way. Oh, oh shit. okay. Just well, this like, was back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And so they did the skeleton and then it's a series of more accurately sculpted dummies. Okay. That look like Claude Rains 
until it's the final shot of Claude Rains. Yeah. And it's just these dissolves after another over each other. And then the camera pulls back on a track that they made for the film to do the shot. Of yeah. course. And the film ends. It's just, it's brilliant. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Before you close it out. Okay. I do just want to talk about the book. Okay. Very quick. And again, I did not read it. So if this is not the exact ending, please don't come for me. But this is what <laughs> I gleaned. Um, But like I said, Kemp is like, like, I'll do it. Like, you know, he's coming after me anyway, whatever. Yeah. So they kind of use him as bait and it's like he catches him outside and this whole huge fight ensues and he ends up getting beaten to death by a mob. Holy wh- shit. While he tries to kill Kemp and Kemp <sighs> still tries to save his life, but it's, it's too late and he reappears on the ground outside. Yeah. But then there's like this little epilogue where the unhoused man took all that money that he took from Jack mm-hmm. and he owns like an inn now. Hey. And he still has <laughs> all of Jack's um, books and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to make it happen. Like, I'm going to do it again. Oh. But like a lot of the pages were ruined and some of them are in different languages. So it's like heavily implied that he's not going to make it happen. Yeah. But it's like, dude, after what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, I'll do it right though. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that that's that's the book. That's wild. All right. And you know, it really does when we were talking about commentary earlier, the mob mentality. Yeah. Yeah. It feeds into all of that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And they they had talked about it on this featurette where they had said that I guess James Whale was kind of forced to shoot the ending for Frankenstein that he did mm-hmm. where certain people survive that probably shouldn't survive. Yes. Yeah. But um his answer to that was this. This grim death for, for Kemp, yeah. yeah, and of course Jack. Okay, God damn. yeah. <laughs> but I have to ask, what did you guys think of the Invisible Man? I will say, having not seen this movie and watching it for the first time, I really enjoyed the shit out of this movie. I'm glad that was that that. Uh, like I said, I, I don't mind the other previous three we've seen. Those were all good films, um, but this was a little more in my direction Mm -hmm. and i enjoyed the fuck out of that that was pretty cool uh i enjoyed him talking shit and (laughs) doing crazy shit um but yeah and then it's very impressive to see like i know we got a lot of makeup work and stuff done with dracula and with frankenstein and the mummy we got those kind but these special effects are these tricks from the trick master (laughs) should i say um that was great. That was like, again, 1933. It's like, dude, I, again, I don't know how you did that. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not a film and TV, you know what I mean? <laughs> Editor for whatever. But like, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. The yeah. photography, the cinematography, any of that shit. That, even to me, that still being that old and it looking that good. That's fucking fantastic. That's good, good shit. Um, he he needed to be stopped. Like he was going, <laughs> <laughs> he was going on a bit of a rampage. <laughs> That's fair. You know, even his girl for a second, he was like, "Yeah, oh, I, you know, I miss you too." Then he went right back to the Power! this place. <laughs> I was like, "All right, I get it, I get it, but calm down." You know, your lady's right there; she's watching you. Uh, <laughs> but this was a good movie. I did enjoy that, and I feel like from here, uh, you can see where. 
Maybe it was like, look, we don't have they everybody doesn't have to be stoic or just a monster and not be able to communicate or whatever. Like he was there and he showed all his emotions and his ass and his balls. We all of see them. Him, but all I mean, he, when they dog. were there. Yeah. He was there. We couldn't see it. All of it. But he had to get naked mm-hmm. to run around. Yeah. I can't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think that this was a blast. I think it. No, it, it was. I enjoyed this one the most mm-hmm. out of everything that we've covered so far. He was out of control. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I don't want to be like, he deserved to die, but God damn, like he need, like you said, he needed to be stopped. Yeah. It was entirely too much. Um, the only thing that like annoys me is uh Flora, like you were saying. <laughs> you were like, Girl, leave him. Well I just I get I'm gonna stand by my man or whatever, but it's like he killed a uh, train full of people. Yeah, for just to do it, <laughs> like, yeah, really? just for funsies. Yeah, yeah. and he laughed. Is it Kareem? Oh, he yeah, was having he the time of his life. He was having a Baja blast. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> the again, Flora. That's kind of annoying. Whatever, but the um, the ending. It's so fast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would have liked more of it because he. Has he's put up so much of a fight yeah. so far, um, but overall it was just it was a blast. Uh, and like you were saying with the effects, they call them tricks. I call them treats. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Yeah. and then I mean, just like even how cool it looks in 2023, mm-hmm. looking back and being like, this was 90 fucking years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. It's difficult to even comprehend. Yeah. I this this film is amazing. It's a cinematic achievement. Mm-hmm. It is groundbreaking in so many countless ways. It it it, do, it does a lot for the science fiction genre. Yeah. Yeah. And the horror genre. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so well crafted, so well paced. 71 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean that is lean. And I will admit, again, with, you know, the third act, it, it, but that just seems to be the standard for these universal horror pictures. That's, yeah. that's fair. Where it kind of, I mean, and, and we had issues with the third act pacing of Dracula. Yeah. yeah. At least. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talked a lot about that. <laughs> at least. That was a lot. Yeah. This, it, it doesn't feel like you're like, are they there? No, he's back at the house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> I guess. He's just around again, I guess. <laughs> This this felt everything felt right. Right. Everything felt as it should have gone and I just I mean and uh, something I didn't mention during the recording of the plot synopsis or plot summary mm-hmm. but the fucking script. Yeah. There are some real great lines. There oh, are yeah. the dialogue and the way and part of it of course is the way Claude Rains delivers it. Mm-hmm. But some of these explanations and some of these, I mean, a reign of terror, like yeah. Yeah. fucking brilliant. And I love it so much, but I guess that can lead us into ratings. Yeah. I, I could go on and on and on about how much I love this film, about the special effects and how they pioneered so much in this film for the future. Mm-hmm. How the invisible man in the grand scope of filmmaking and honestly, when it comes to universal classic monsters right doesn't really get his due yeah. yeah this film is brilliant in so many ways james whale made a masterpiece in this to me mm-hmm. yeah and i have so much fun with it every single time that i watch it 
Claude Rains is a fucking powerhouse. Yeah. He's the mitochondria of this film. (laughs) (laughs) I I just love it so much. And his line delivery is unparalleled. Yeah. Maybe they just weren't ready for a villain who talks shit. Maybe. (laughs) Or to follow around somebody who's so fucking unlikable. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that back in the day that was an issue when it came to like storytelling. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, honestly, and you can almost see Kemp as kind of an antagonist too. He sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I don't know. And the idea of him being a monster, but also maintaining that humanity. Yeah. Seeing him go mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still having these heartfelt moments with Flora. Yeah. Having these moments of torment as he's trying his best to figure it out. Mm -hmm. There's just so much there that is just ripe. And I just, I love it so much. Yeah. Not to mention the nostalgic feelings I get watching it. I'm five years old again, eating a microwave chimichanga. <laughs> you did used to love those Oh, they were so good. But um, I thank mom very much for showing these to me at a young age. This one is the one that was so formative for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the second meaningful meaning that it's taken on Watching the love of my life experience this film for the first time, mm-hmm. I I am I can't. <laughs> I do not have words. And to share that experience with Jules and for this to forever be the first film that we ever watched together. Mm-hmm. And for them to have enjoyed it as much as they did. And I just look, I already forecast my rating at the beginning. Yeah. You did. So out of ten frantic and frozen footprints, I am going to give the invisible man. 10 frantic and frozen footprints out of 10. This film is very special to me. It always will be. And it's only that, that, that it's taken on an even more special meaning after all these years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This film is just magic. And uh, I love it. Thank you, mom. I love you, Jules. I'll open the floor to you. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I'm going to give the invisible man a seven. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been done better. It's, I mean, it's all right, I guess. It's not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the third act we said yeah. <laughs> um yeah no dude i again i know i already went off on how i did like this movie and i do um that was great that was a i'm glad that we had kind of introduced these and in, into what we were doing with the b horror and the universal and because uh, these are a good little treat to see back at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And you do, I know you've said it uh, quite a few times on how people take inspiration from these older movies. And you do see that the more and more you watch them. Um, this one, again, just like you said, babe, I feel like this is my favorite one so far. And again, though, it does play into more of the villain's that I enjoy. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, you're causing fucking panic and havoc everywhere. And you're laughing and having fun and <laughs> talking shit to people and knocking hats off people's heads. And <laughs> I was like, damn dude, you're a fucking menace, <laughs> but it's great. It's like, Oh, you, when, you know, when you love what you do, yes. you know, I was like, dude, all right. And you um, did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the special effects that they do in this, um, it is funny you know you saying that this doesn't get enough recognition because it is it it is a good and fun movie i do feel uh again like you said babe earlier too the humor yes is 
put in here intentionally. It's not by accident. Like the other ones, it's like, no, I, they're going to laugh. This is going to get the audience a reaction mm-hmm. and it, they're going to laugh. And, and we did. Yeah. Even 90 years later, we did. I'm still, I was still like fucking <laughs> laugh. I heard your sister laughing to me laughing. And she's like, she walked in and she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> but it, this was a very fun time. If you haven't seen this movie, I would recommend anyone to go watch it. Check it out. Give it a chance. Um, it, uh, again, it, it is in it, this does lean a little more towards me. The end, uh, I will say that on the cool, the end is what gets me like on the other movies. It's very quick. Mm-hmm. It's just over and that's it. And I was like, all right, well, um, <laughs> okay. all right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I was like, all right, you know, uh, but I did enjoy this. Mm-hmm. This was very good. So for me on a scale of one to ten. Frantic Frozen Footsteps, I'm going to give The Invisible Man 1933 a 7.5. <laughs> All right. I did enjoy the shit out of this movie. I I can't remember if this is, if, if my other scores for the other ones were higher or not, mm-hmm. but if they are, I will go back. You got to adjust. <laughs> but I did enjoy the fuck out of this movie. Uh, again, it is a little older and it's uh, all right. But I, I'm like, dude, this is cool. You know what I mean? This is the first, this, if this is the invisible man we just followed, then okay, minus the one part where he said that crazy shit. And it was like, well, yeah, we, yeah, no. we don't like, need well, that. I'm yeah, sorry, what? Yeah, skip that. Skip yeah. the hollow man stuff. Um, <laughs> but the rest of them, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Let's just follow this crazy ass story and let's build off of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. The dude fucking lost his mind and he freaked out and his lady's trying to like no dude whatever and she did was sticking by him she was that train should be done by now he'll (laughs) he'll be back soon yeah oh he told me he was derailing (laughs) (laughs) right oh then he's got that thing at 10 yeah that's right (laughs) that thing (laughs) that appointment yeah (laughs) no i feel like you guys said everything already this is just um it's a lot of fun I definitely enjoyed it more than the rest of the ones that we've covered thus far. Not throwing shade on those, but mm-hmm. no. this one was just, I couldn't believe some of the shit that I was seeing. Yeah. Both in terms of what the fuck is wrong with Jack. Uh, something's up with Jack. <laughs> um, and in terms of what they were able to accomplish. It mm-hmm. is so impressive. It's overwhelmingly good. Mm-hmm. so the few bad things it's like damn you know what i mean but mm-hmm. it's like what more do you want <laughs> <laughs> um like i said the character of flora she's not in the novel if you're gonna introduce her i wish you would have done more with her fair point made yeah. her more interesting or given her some agency again i know that it's the 30s but um she's just like jack when are you coming home and it's yeah. like dude he's a fucking murderer <laughs> and he's invisible and you, yeah. we don't something's up with jack we don't know if we're gonna get him back yeah <laughs> maybe that's what she likes about him maybe yeah. that's what she likes um and the ending again i know that this is a recurring theme with these films but i was like ready for a big i feel he just put up so much of a fight yeah. every other time that he was you know up against it mm-hmm. he really just i mean got shot and laid down <laughs> yeah he it. slept in a barn yeah he, <laughs> he slept did in a barn um but again his his pettiness his shit talking his voice is incredible um it's fantastic mm-hmm. and 
the little stuff, when you look at it compared to how great the rest of it is, it does feel a bit nitpicky. Mm-hmm. But on a scale from one to 10, frantic and frozen footprints, mm-hmm. I'm going to give The Invisible Man, 1933, yeah. <laughs> 8.5 out of 10 frozen and frantic footprints. Close All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have written it down. <laughs> um, this was a blast. This is my favorite one so far. Yeah. I'm excited to go further. Um, but this is going to be a hard one to beat for me. It is. And you know what? I want to go ahead and add another 0.5. Let oh, me shit. make okay. it an eight. All right. Because I did enjoy this. You're right. This was a really good movie. I am so glad that you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. I th- I think that we're eventually going to get to Bride of Frankenstein, which okay. might be next. I'm trying to remember. That's 1935. Because that's also Whale, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm so, excited. And that is considered by many to be the best. Okay. Woo! Right. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Is that also a horror comedy or? It's, it's, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate The Invisible Man and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at The Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Windigo Gitter patrons. And remember... While it's okay to have ambition, don't let yourself disappear into your work. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Gitter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, Very good. (laughs) Very good. A special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Cow OKC, Joshua Rumley, Daniel Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hagera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, 
Henry F., Megan M., Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K., Erica Morin, Cameron S., Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A., Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E., Maggie H., Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonigal, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jin Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesin, Valerie K, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L, Heather Santiano, Abby Kopp, Crystal831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S, Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T, Kim H, Dana Cook, August, Vengeance Spirit, Ernest Acquisition, Sam J. Green, Kelly Mack, Cindy Palmer, Jenny May, and Zoe Marie. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love and appreciate each and every one of you, and we want to thank you all sincerely for making us feel so seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Not invisible. No. No, like Jack. Yeah. No, well. No. (laughs) 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 Until next time.